buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. I'm stretching. Brother, last time we had you on the show, we uh, we did a double with um, the member for Herbert or the mouthpiece himself, Philip Thompson. Uh, so you didn't get a fucking word in edgeways, mate. So with what's going on currently uh, in the space, uh, I thought we'd get you back on, mate, so we can actually figure out who the fuck Paul Warren is and, and what's going on, mate. So <laughs> thanks for coming back on, brother. No, thanks. I appreciate that. Um yeah, Tomo can talk, um, but he's he's got a story and he's he's got a platform where he can, you know, get his message out at the moment, which I think is great. Um, but I think you'll learn, you know, through this podcast, we sort of did our apprenticeship together once we left defence and and we know the ins and outs a little bit, you know. Yeah, fucking nice. Um, I just want to take because the problem is that we know each other so well that everyone else is like, who the fuck is Paul Warren? So. Mate, let's go through. You're not a stranger to fucking hard knocks, and especially being one of the older blokes that joined the army. Um, take us through your 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 inception into fucking hard knocks was kickboxing, right? Yeah, for sure. Yep. I think the difference with me and a lot of people is when we get to speak at these platforms, and I work backwards a little bit is. The army didn't create me. I wasn't the 18, 19-year-old digger um, that sort of had resilience and discipline and all this stuff bashed into him that way. Um, like you said, I was one of the older blokes when I joined. I was I was 27 when I joined. so And I shared a room at Kapuka with Keats who was 19. He was, he was a baby pretty much, but very mature. Like, um, And, yeah, proved me wrong in a, in a few ways when I, I tried to tell him such, but... Um, for me, yeah, I, I grew up in Toowoomba. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit different. I, I lost my mum, I think, before I was 12 months old. Um, so those sort of things when you're growing up, you know, you, you kind of... I, I learned about death very early on, um, if that makes sense. Um, when you're a kid and you're sort of dealing with that sort of stuff. Um, Stepmom and dad, you know, brothers and sisters. Growing up in Toowoomba, it's, it's very much about sport. Um, and my dad was a good footy player, but I was just horrible at it. Absolutely horrible. Um, I like playing footy, and I did finally play A grade and stuff like that in Toowoomba. But as a kid, you know, my parents realised that wasn't for me. Maybe they were sick of getting embarrassed every weekend. I don't know. Um, and I got into karate, I think, at nine or ten years old. And this is this is pre, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme and, and, you know, all those eras where it all became sexy and everyone started going to Thailand. It was, you know, I'm showing my age a bit now. I'm 42, so. But I, I took to that. Um, I liked the lifestyle around it. It's six, seven days a week, you know, when you're really invested in martial arts. Um, I should have been paying attention to, you know, school results and stuff like that, and I wasn't. I'd, I'd worked my way through Queensland and Australian teams, and I got picked to go to... Uh, Denmark it was as a 17 year old so when you grow up um, you so know for, with school no this is in an open sort of martial arts team so just weeks and, and sort of years of you know having resilience bashed India I guess that's the thing about martial arts like you'll turn up and you know if you have a bad day on the footy fields and there's no disrespect or comparison but you know you'll, you'll drop the ball or things don't go smoothly you know, if you have a bad day in the gym, you'll, you'll go home with your tail between your legs. Like, 
you know, some days you're the hammer, some days you're the nail, and you don't get to pick what, which one sometimes. Like, that's that's the nature of the beast. Um, but, yeah, I sort of worked my way through there, and I, I loved it. I just took to it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's about diet, and, you know, you're at it six, seven days a week just trying to be, you know, make a name for yourself or just, you know, compete at a high level, I think. Um, and with that comes a lot of not only physical but emotional resilience. You don't get results you want. You know, especially as a kid, you get to you get to learn that if you wanna you wanna win and you wanna be on the top spot, you need to earn it. You don't just get it given. Not everyone gets a participation award like that's that's part of where society's gone wrong. I think, um, just my opinion. Um, so do you think do you, not having your mum and, and going through loss was that something that drove you to join the military? Like deep down, like behind all the but prior to the combat sports or after combat sports was there what was the driving force to join the military honestly mate it was the similarities between i think who i was and what i was doing and the fact that when i decided to join um i'd had a 10-year tie boxing career um which for most people you're lucky you know you're very lucky to get a two or three year career so I was pretty fortunate I had some longevity in that sport and at the start I wasn't I was I was horrible like I I had this overinflated ego when I got back from Denmark I think I got fourth in the world against kids that were 17 but for me I always wanted to chase a tie boxing career like I don't know just, that was just what I wanted to do um, I jumped into my first fight at 17 um, with a massive ego not so much ability and a 30-year-old bloke came out and punched a snot out of me. Like, that was my introduction to, to that sport. Like, Fuck, who was your manager, mate? Is that is that standard? Ethical? No. Hey? Ethical, you mean? No. Yeah, is that ethical? Or have a 30-year-old bloke jumping in a ring with a 17-year-old? Or were you, no, that, were you grading that well? No, that's that's just the difference in sports. Like, I'd, I'd been sort of, you know, through karate, you know, as a 15, 16 year old started, for some reason, a lot of their competitions go on height. And I was just, you know, I was six foot tall. So if I'd sort of do all right in my age group, I'd, I'd be go up into the open men's and start fighting them as a teenager. Like, I was no prodigy or anything like that. But but once you go into tie boxing where there's rounds and they don't stop the fight so much, it constantly flows and pretty much you wait till you wait doesn't matter if you're 16 30 you know it's it's open slather um and i think that that first thing that first fight like i had two black eyes i was busted up i couldn't get tired for a few days but for some reason there's that nutcase inside me goes this is what i want to do i need to get good at this um and i've always sort of had that mentality i think fuck why what is that what is that internal (laughs) I don't know, and when I get early onset dementia and all these good things that are coming for me, I'll be like, "This is why," because you're stubborn and you just, you just, yeah, I don't know. Um, so from that first fight, started to cut weight properly. That's a, that's an event and a discipline in itself. Sometimes, um, I'd walk around about 84, 85 kilos, and I could cut to 76, 78 in the last week, and your body just gets good at that. Um, somehow it just once you do it often enough your body knows when it's weight cut time and 
it's a lot of it's just water weight and you you weigh in the night before and you put it all back on so um that's that's a test of who you are at times before you even get to the fight i think one of the hard ones i did i I had to cut to 75 and i probably didn't have too much food or water for two and a half three days so that just creates that discipline and mindset that you need like before you've even fought anyone so um yeah little things like that definitely create who you are i think long term yeah because it was uh we had brownie his podcast is going to drop out soon uh he was talking about that weight cutting and and that is almost that's half of the fucking battle or, or the test of a real fighter getting in and cutting weight it's like a pride thing like you won't miss weight as opposed to taking a drop in the in the like will they get fined if they don't make weight or yeah going back to when i was sort of fighting yeah you, you it's your reputation if you turn up and miss weight well promoters are not going to have you on it you'd rather you'd rather literally rather get knocked out than turn up a couple of couple of kilos overweight so um that's just your reputation and you know you being professional really you turn up if you agree to a weight you turn up on or under that and and go from there um because is it up to so if if we were gonna have a fucking blue and i wouldn't recommend it because i'd fucking lose but would um and i rocked up overweight is it up to effectively can you call it or is it up to you to keep like no i'll fucking fight him anyway i don't give a shit yeah some of the best arguments and stuff come from the way and so you know i've seen a guy um down at the gold coast because you know my the scene i used to fight on was brisbane gold coast sunny coast um in around there um i've seen a guy have to run off 200 grams because the other trainer's just like no this is the way off you go and he'd already he's already dry and tired and your body just stops sweating after a while if you've cut too much weight um and yeah I've, i've literally seen someone run off 200 grams so um it depends how much you're going to be over and and what yeah it just becomes a discretionary thing then i think but you know you normally send them to try and cut more because they're already drained and punished you're just punishing them again like for not not doing what they should have done in the first place (laughs) mate fuck that i don't think i can go two seconds water deprivation it's got to have a lasting effect um yeah, I'm sure uh, it might. I'm I think sh- you just don't like cat and weight full stop, mate. <laughs> <laughs> might be genetic. I'm big boned, mate. That's the problem. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Just fight fucking super heavyweight. Don't they have no no max? That's what can. Oh, sorry, the, what's the um, super heavyweight? What's, what's the, the fucking category? Oh, you're looking at I'm 90. Pretending on, I'm pretending on no fighting. You're looking at 96 kilos and up. And through my oh, career. It's anything up, right? Yeah, anything up. Yeah. yeah it's- mate, that's you. Max, done. Yeah fucking into it that's um, definitely not me like through my career i was fortunate enough to spar with people like um nathan corbett and there's never been a more apt fight name for a person than carnage like he just tore people apart at 76 kilos 79 83 and he won world titles at all these weights until he was a heavyweight and was bashing them as well so sparring with him or i ended up having to get rooms down at the gold coast because i was pretty much concussed trying to drive home like so people like that kept me in my own weight and away from them so yeah good lesson there so are you worried about the i mean obviously what was that what was that um uh netflix doco about the american nfl player 
concussion. The concussion. And, like, they're talking about those symptoms for CTE transferring over early onset dementia um, and a lot of the signs for traumatic brain and TBI and, and repetitive blast injury replicate uh, PTSD, right? Are you worried, like, that you're going to get to fucking 45 and you're going to forget which end of fucking peel a banana or? Oh. It doesn't matter, mate. You can feel it both ends. <laughs> <laughs> Once I start in the, in the middle, I'll know, I'm, I'll know I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> when you start eating the skin, you might be fucked. No, it's a fair question, though. And I did a lot of research when I got back from the GAN, like, um, and a, a lot of the American researchers and, you know, you got hospitals like Walter Reed that focus on amputees and stuff like that, but... And the NFL spends bulk money on research, right? Like because they don't want the bad PR coming from concussions and, and things like that. Um, yeah, a lot of the symptoms are, are the same. Um, if if I said I hadn't had a bit of a look over my shoulder and done a bit of research, I'd probably be lying because yeah, I, I haven't been kind to my body through through this period. Um, and yeah, I've been knocked out cold in in fights and with everything: punches, knees, kicks, elbows, like. Um, yeah, I yeah I, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a bit of a guessing game still. I think, but but hopefully I get to see my kids grow up still. Or remember your kids growing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the long the long and short. I mean this is something I have to bring up with Charlie too yeah, down the track, whether he knows about it or not. But the the information that I've read or seen, mostly pulling it from that um, Gore was Doctor Gordon saying there is. You can check signs and symptoms. They can't prove that your brain's fucking deteriorating until they cut it in half. And there's no turning back once they cut it in half. Like, they're only doing it once you're already dead. So, Well, some of us use more or less of our brains than the other people, mate. I think I'd be all right. You cut half my brain off, I'd still be talking English. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, the treatment's just uh, extra testosterone. So you might as well err on the side of caution and just start extra testosterone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's it. Like... This conversation's come up with me a little bit lately too, actually, because you get to a point, I'm 42 now, and I said my body's been through a bit, and that's before I even got blown up. Um, like, it's not about beach muscles and all this stuff. It's it's about quality of life. Like, I do want to be out and active with my kids for as long as I can be. And, you know, when people start talking about this and, and they're doing it in moderation and medically, I'm not against it. I, I can't be. Oh fuck no, mate! And the I mean the steroid argument, the the debate in the Western world, it's the same as the argument against like weed or or, or most drugs that are fairly harmless. It's there's a propaganda campaign that came out years ago, and it's it's shaped the way we think about it. Like your body produces testosterone. Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger and fucking bodybuilders are going to jam gear in their ass until they're ginormous. That's not the goal. But that's where all of steroids' reputations come from. Testosterone replacement. Anyone over 35, like I turned 35, I'm like, I'm going to start investigating this. Because the the fact of life is females go up in testosterone after 35, males go down. And you meet in the middle and then you get like old grumpy chicks with mustaches and, and weak kind of depressed and, and, and shriveled dudes. And like, oh, you made that's them right just part of life. Like you can either accept it or you can use modern science and fight against it and that's not I, I want to start like I'm, I'm seriously going to look into it probably through this year what's the the lowest dose testosterone I can get on to just stay 35 forever as far as testosterone levels go 
Um, and mate, if someone's got a problem with that, that's their problem. I'm going to go see an endocrinologist and, and get measured and, and see how we go. I think maintaining optimum levels is perfect. If 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 I was a diabetic because I'm not producing insulin, I'm I'm not talking about I'm not talking about die induced diabetes. I'm talking about type which one? Type one is the bad one, right? It's like genetic. Type two. If so, if you're if you're not producing enough insulin, the cure is they give you insulin. Like they give you extra what you're missing. If you testosterone levels are dropping off the point of depression and you know physical breakdown top you back up to recommended levels like you said not, I'm not talking about jamming fucking needles in my ass and turning into a fucking fridge 100% I mean the normal levels is, is still no one's measured it but there's healthy range for 18 and then as you get older and older it starts to drop man get me back to an 18 year old I'm happy. Yeah, well, the, the, range, the range is massive. I looked into it. The range is huge. And you can be on the lower end and they won't treat you. And the lower end is suboptimal. Like, you don't want to be sitting down there. 25-year-old yeah. pumping out a test of a 50-year-old man. That's fucking bullshit. So I went through this process um, a couple of years after I got back and I was already out of the army. And my GP said, we'll send you to an endocrinologist. Um, I was working on Nauru then, so working shift work. Um, the range was 11 to 40. So that's that's a big range depending on age and, and whatever. I was showing sixes and sevens. Mm. So like the, the so you're a big giant woman walking around? Yeah, 60-year-old man, they, they were saying. So, um, yeah, did it properly, went through an endocrinologist. Um, the funny thing was as soon as I stopped shift work, um, the night shift stuff, it started to bounce up by itself as well. So... Um, that was I thought that was interesting you, you know I, I didn't mind night shift but clearly my body didn't like it mm. yeah, a lack of sleep yeah. that's how people are frauding um, tests like testosterone tests they just deprive themselves of sleep go to the docs get their measurement done and then oh I'm really low free steroids we're not saying that's the cheat sheet people but <laughs> <laughs> so but there's some things no. coming out that army so and this comes into a moral compass with so, uh, my argument, I'm going to try and present it as best as possible. Um, firing 84s and fucking anti-tank caliber. We are shooting 84s that are the size, the caliber and size of tanks from World War One and Two. An 84mm Carl Gustav, an inch from the side of your head, is the largest... Cal- there was, I think the, the Tigers had 80-something millimeter guns in World War Two. That was on a tank. The repetitive blast impact of that... The army didn't know that... So the army's just saying, hey, look, we need to fucking win wars. Let's just give this... This is a recallless rifle. Let's, let's send it. Should they be accountable in the future for what they made people do in the past when they didn't know, right? And then is the same with sleep. So, okay, um, you're in the army. You've got to do picket for fucking 18 years of your life. You literally go out bush. The old boys used to go out bush six weeks at a time. They were doing... Running on minimal sleep most of their life as a byproduct of that should the army be accountable for that or because they didn't actually it's it's not like malpractice they just didn't know that those things was, were a problem it's like the the cancel culture in hollywood you can get cancelled for something you did you said 15 years ago is it the same or should army that that's where i'm at you know what i mean they, i'd be interested to hear some opinions Who from? Everyone? Yeah. Oh, oh, mate, I ran on this all day. How long have we got? Hey, we got two hours. No. In the short version? No. There is no way, mate. In, in any topic you want to bring up, 
any topic you want to bring up. Like this is it's it's like a um every time someone talks about cancel culture or or should like this conversation should army be responsible for stuff that they didn't know they were doing back in the day. It mate the generational change we, you're never going to keep up with it and we've tried to pretend now as a society that you should be you should be responsible for stuff that you did in the past even though you didn't know in the past that it was wrong but now you know therefore you have to pay for it it's like fuck no if they change the law tomorrow to say you're not allowed to wear um t-shirts with fuck on them does that mean that i need to go to jail for wearing a t-shirt with fuck on it last week fuck no like it it just brings every time we talk about this it reminds me of um the uh Gran Torino movie with Clint Eastwood sitting on his front doorstep drinking tinnies and chewing jerky because he just gave up on the world because they they became so the world changes every generation and like we are becoming that generation that looks at the younger generation going where the fuck is this going to go like and and if we let it keep running everyone's going to jail Everyone from our generation should be locked up because we have all done stuff that in 20 years' time is going to be illegal or is it someone's going to be offended by and it's all fucked up. The counter-argument, being offended, is one thing. Legislating around being offended is a whole other thing. Trying to pin stuff on defence forces, like we, we have to be realistic. Everything multiplied by time gets really, really funky. 100 years from now, if it goes the way the nice version of the future, we stop killing each other. We are then, the next generation, after you have no wars, the first generation that's never seen war is gonna look back at war like we were fucking barbarians. The same way we look back at like the 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 Romans when they just killed people for sport in, the, in an arena. Like we could never imagine that in our time, but we're not that far from it. So it's, it's like one, you only need one gap generation. And it's a slippery slope, mate. If we get to the point where there is no war and there's a whole generation gap and there's the next generation who never heard of anyone killing anyone, the people who are still alive, the grandpas of that generation that still used to bang it in a bit, they're fucked, mate. Because that that young generation who's never seen any hard anything uh, is going to think everything is destructive. Like, mate, I mean, we're, we're on a path to not being able to hunt animals anymore. We're on a path to, to not being able to eat meat. And then the next generation after that's going to say that you, you're not allowed to eat vegetables because they have feelings too. Uh, well, like, they do, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so Hungry Jack's just brought out the Rebel Burger, didn't they? Which is the taste like... And this is the fucking funny... I don't want I'll get back, mate. I'm, I've segued the fuck out of this, but the Rebel <laughs> Burger tastes like a Big Mac. Uh, tastes like a Whopper, but it's not a Whopper. So what's that telling you? The Whopper's probably fucking just as fake anyway, but... Um, (laughs) in terms I can sort of bring it back a little bit in terms of what Adrian just said so you you know social media and stuff like that that are prevalent these days um, when I was I was fighting and fighting a lot regularly it was probably you know early 2000s so you didn't have Facebook as a platform and stuff like this like I, I went, I think, after my Queensland title win, I went undefeated for three years, defended it once before I even got a look in at an Australian title. Like, I sort of paid my dues there a little bit. And now, when you just spoke about generation change, you'll get a bloke that's had three wins and four losses and he's like on Facebook going, where's my title shot? Like, it's a, it's a bit of a generation of entitlement and, and what about me and... I get it, social media is a great platform for promoters and stuff like that to build, you know, fight brands and promotions and things like that. But 
Yeah, we, we have changed a lot. I think if you were that outspoken back then, they just would have set you up with someone to, to close, your, close your mouth, pretty much. That's just how it would have worked. Yeah, mate, it's 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 all generation gap. And I think we're, we're not look saying poor us, but we are the unfortunate generation that was around, that were, were developed mentally, kind of. We'd learned some life lessons and we learned some rules about things as the internet was getting created and then so we've seen both sides of the internet and now with the internet and technology ramping up so quickly um in the past it would have been like five generations before there was major shifts like every generation has their own changes but drastic like radical shifts in the way the world operates take a few generations whereas now with us Mate, our kids are going to see completely different worlds to what we grew up in, and their kids are going to be flipped. Like, technology is making everything happen a lot quicker. Um, but at the same time, like, to, to change anything, all you need to do is say fuck you to one generation, and then the next one, just the McDonald's theory. Like, if you get them young, change their mindset with a Happy Meal, by the time they're adults, they are on your team. Like, I mean, you got to pull me back. I love going down rabbit holes, but we had this whole conversation that's kind of connected with the whole is the conspiracy theory behind vaccines and them making people infertile, right? That is one of the more spoken about conspiracies at the moment. Everyone's getting vaccinated. It's Bill Gates and his mates. They want to reduce the population. They're doing it through a vaccine, make everyone get it, become infertile. I'll go through this real quick because I know you want to go and talk about some real stuff. But everyone's like, the whole world would hate him. I'm like, the response is like, the world will only hate him for one generation. Because if everyone becomes infertile and a select group of people are the only ones having kids, their kids come from a lineage of people who never became infertile. Two generations from now, everyone on the planet is not a descendant of someone who became infertile or was killed off. Therefore, they write their own history books and don't give a fuck about everyone else. So it's, it's a one to two generation gap. That's obviously an extreme example, but everything, every cultural shift through history only takes one or two generations and then it's forgotten about, mate. If you're on the if you're on the losing side of it, like you are out of the history books. So in answer to your question, mate, if if defence didn't know about it, if they didn't know about it, then no, they should never be responsible in history. If they did and they covered it up, then fuck them. Um, but no, if there's no way if they find out now that blowing a dropping mortars, blowing stuff up, shooting sixty sixes and eighty fours gives you brain damage. They should not be responsible for anyone who got it. Yes, I mean, if they can afford to help those people out 100%, but they shouldn't be held accountable. Um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Lying. Criminally, I guess. Yeah. Um, for any damage they did to people before they knew. Otherwise... Because it's the Agent Orange stuff as well, isn't it? Like, they pumped Agent Orange through everything, and they're like, oh, that's really bad, like cancer. People were still smoking. Doctors were prescribed. Like, no, smoking is the healthy choice. And then they're pumping Agent Orange through fucking trees and shit. I don't know. I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Well, we've got to sue someone. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the, the bigger question is the, the looking at it the other way, looking forward instead of backwards. Research is coming out, right? We know it's coming. Matter of time. We get research saying if you shoot guns, if you drop bombs, your brain's cooked. What do they do? Make you sign a waiver? Like, looking backwards... Yes, you can say, hey, maybe they didn't know, but now you do. What do you do going forward? How do you how do you pull 17-year-old kids up at school seminars going, hey, come and join the army? We'll give you some brain damage. <laughs> what, what the fuck is the plan? 
Who knows, mate? Yeah, I don't think I'd You're be a good getting... recruiting ad walking yeah. in a, on a prosthetic going, hey, kids, yeah. come join the army. Like, Oh, mate, it's, I probably still would have signed up. Great. <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway, get us back on track, Max. Mate, I'll get you back. So, mate, we're talking to Simon Maloney, talking about you getting in the ring and because um, I really want to go through the fighting piece and find out what Paul's about because once we get into the fucking... I feel that, uh, you, you know, no one really understands your backstory, mate. But when they when they, we take you into um, the incident that defines you, it's not. And, and then you're a big one that your injury doesn't define you, but it's finding out the person that you are who you are because of, of your background, of what we've always spoke about, the people that join the army, um, uh, that come from fucking tough upbringings, where they learn this resilience from, how they become good soldiers, and then how they fucking move forward with life and and, and refuse to lay down and die. Uh, and, and this come up with Simon Maloney on the podcast fucking last week. He was talking, he got, here's a British sniper, got shot in the neck. Uh, and he said he was laying there and he was like, he just got pissed off, mate. Like male, he said it was male pride. Um, and then I tried to, I just try to bait him into an argument about toxic masculinity but we'll try and do it again now but um he was like fuck no it was male pride that made him get back up and like i'm gonna i'm not laying down and dying i'm gonna fucking live um is i just want to is that what you're feeling getting in the fucking ring with a 30 year old dude or where does the resilience come from that you have fucking developed and shown is it forged is it a birthright what what is it? No, it's it's definitely not, particularly not in a sport like that. Um, I said, you, you've got to have that mental capacity sometimes to even get to a fight. Like, oh, shit, I've got eight kilos to drop. All my mates are going to the movies, going to Hungry Jacks, probably not for the Rebel Whopper, all that sort of stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? You, you've got to have that discipline for a start. And then it's funny what you just said and talking about going into the army, like, I walked into one AR and I've got I've got Warlord tattooed down my forearm because that was my fight name. The amount of shit I copped from Kapuka, from Singo, from like oh a tough guy, and I'm like every time like fuck here I go again like. And half the time when you tell the backstory behind it, even if it's a, like a full track or a snake pulling you up, they're like, oh yeah, right. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> off, <laughs> off you go then, like. I got given that name like one of the ring announcers sort of said it and I just had this weird ability to you know in real tight fights that were pretty close and and stuff like that to seem to just weather that storm and, and come out in the end early on um, later on I kind of decided that wasn't the approach I wanted to do and I started knocking more people out but um, trying to take less shots but it, it's not a macho or bravado thing and I think this is something that people outside martial arts don't understand like you definitely feel alive when you've got a crowd of a couple of thousand people and you know they're, they're just looking at you and this other guy and this you know you get that tunnel vision you're, you're not sure how to until you have five or six fights you're not sure what sort of fighter you are Do I, am I the person that needs to, to really make myself angry and get excited do I need to stay calm and and not burn nervous energy, which I found worked best for me. Um, and just rely on all the work you'd done beforehand, the Ks in your legs and all that sort of stuff and the hard sparring, being shark tanked. If you've done 20 rounds, like leading up and, you know, to a fight, 
training, sparring, and you've had fresh guys coming in at you every few rounds. Like it's a, it's almost like an out of body experience. You know you're good to go after a couple of weeks of that. These are the little things, and it takes that almost that macho bravado thing, especially when you start having a few fights and and fight experienced guys. It's it's technical. It's controlling your emotions. It's like. You know, you see that the first, second time has come out, and I was that too at one point. You get punched in the face, and you, your first response is to get angry or get upset, and it doesn't do you any good because you'll blow your wad and you'll be done in a round or two. You'll probably realise halfway through round one you haven't had a breath yet, and you've just thrown all these haymakers, looking like Justin Hodges trying to box. Looks like someone fell off a boat and was backstroking. It's horrendous. Like, it's all about controlling your emotions. You know, you really get into that mindset of I, I want, I want to make him do this, and how am I going to set this up? And it's the technical battle that sort of, it's exciting. Like you've got to wear a few shots to get into that, but um, that's the part that's really exciting. So when you get to a, a unit and a battalion, and someone's like, "Well, you're a tough guy, you got this on you," like I'll fight. I'm like, no dramas, mate. <laughs> like that's, that's what I, what I do, what I've done. Like I. I'm not bigger, badder than you, but I guarantee you I'm smarter than you and I'll finish you off. Yeah, there's got to be a thing, I guess, once once you uh, learn just to be comfortable fighting. Like, it's not... Because, I mean, it's still a thing for, for, for most people, and especially as society keeps moving forward, physical violence is, is on the outer and outer as we continue to move forward. People get punched in the mouth and they literally don't know what to do when and or thinking about it. So I'm just trying to get in someone's shoes where they're like, Oh yeah, getting punched in the head was that's the first step, but learning to be calm and logical and play chess with a human being different story. Yeah, 100%. It, it's calm and it's calculated when you had Paul Kale on the podcast. He, he speaks he speaks to it with very little emotion. It's just like, "Yeah, I needed to go do this, do this, do this." It's a process. You train it, you know, so when you got guys, you know, trying to intimidate you and put fear in you in whatever scenario saying, "Oh, fight you or whatever that it doesn't exist in us anymore we've when you're an experienced fighter you're like well there's no it's not a threat level you're more excited about a contest to be fair like you're like all right and if i did just get hit my brain doesn't go oh shit it goes what i get hit with what was that what can i do where am i going to go where am i going to move my feet you just go into that when you've done it for so long like it's the, the macho bravado thing is, is out the window and you just start to, to take a contest for what it is. Fuck. You can be I, in a crowd of 2,000 people and, 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 and hear silence. Your brain gets to that. You just have this weird tunnel vision. You learn to listen to one voice, which is the one coming out of your corner, and you, you operate that way. Yeah, I've noticed that, especially since COVID with the UFC. Um... I don't know whether I just don't understand fighting enough, or, or, or the, the way I look at the the, the fights Dana's put together. Um, he hasn't put any rampaging rage fucking brawlers in fights that I've seen anyway. Obviously, I haven't watched all of them, and it kind of makes sense because when you got no crowd and you got no energy boosting up emotional fighters, like you need the only the only fighters that can go out there and perform in the current scenario with no crowd, no noise are ones that aren't fighting off emotion. Like, dudes, obviously, if you're fighting in the UFC, you're fucking pretty experienced anyway, but there's still... Some of the bigger boys are going out there just to fucking swing until someone dies, and that there has been none of them. Um, and you'd have to 
again, might be looking into it too much, but you'd have to assume that the, the guys putting the fights together are like, these. if we put our brawler out there now, they're not going to be able to perform because there's no fucking way they can build the emotion required. Like, we need to put all tactical, logical thinking fighters out there. Yeah, for sure, 100%. And there's different types of fighters, and you, you, you know there's people that, that feed off that energy and... You'd be nuts if you didn't when you sort of you, you get your name announced and people sort of know who you are like it, it is yeah, it, it pats your ego nicely like you got two thousand people you sort of enjoy that moment walking out into a yeah and then you jump over the ropes and you're like oh shit all right yeah now mm, then you sort of yeah, focus in on on the job at hand but people like obviously Conor McGregor and they're they're you know it's hard to put them in, a, in an empty stadium. They, they're obviously people that feed off that emotion and, and like it. Mm. And he, I mean, the same deal. Like, he, he hasn't performed as well. He's up against a fucking sick fighter. But, um, again, I'm a, I'm a backseat driving fucking couch commentator, mate, when it comes to fighting. But going, going back quickly to what you were talking about with um, turning up with a, with a warlord tattoo and, and fucking full tracks and, and sergeants and that trying to size you down I, th- I think that there's two sides to that one yeah call call out Paul Warren when he first gets the fucking Kapuka and you're probably going to have a bad day but at the same time I think the attitude from that comes from there's, and we'll, I think we'll get back to this a little bit later on in this conversation when it gets spicy there's two types of people who join the military especially the army there's two types there's people who want to be high performing and be fucking amazing at their job um, and, and go over and bang it in and, and do stuff that most people don't want to do and there's the work for the Dole program. There's the people who aren't really sure yet what they want to do in life. They probably don't want to do fuck all. Um, but they they just, like, I've heard if I join the army, I, I, it's a good life and I get paid. When you when you become, like, the full tracks and the guys that start to, to get promoted are and more, well, use this, the more often than not the ones that wanted to be high performing and, and, and go well. Um, you get to the point where it's kind of cynical, but the whole world is, is told as you're growing up judge people or, or sorry don't judge people but assume everyone's a good guy assume everyone's a nice guy and then if they fuck you over then then accuse them of being a fuckwit whereas you join the military and your kind of eyes are open to the fact that it's, it's really should be done the other way around assume everyone's a fuckwit and then if they're a good bloke then they can come across the fence and i think that's where a lot of that comes from too it's it's not so, there is a bit of fuckwittery and, and ego involved in it too but i think by the time you get to see so many people coming through Kapuka or Singo or coming new to the battalion um, and they're like I'm going to assume these guys are all fucking idiots and then when they prove that they go alright then I'll then I'll fucking back them in and I mean obviously someone walks in with a warlord tattoo mate I, I don't like to think I'm the super fuckwit but I probably was a little bit to some of the young blokes coming in you're probably going to make jokes about it and then the the fighter Paul Warren goes well here's the here's the story champ and you're like, all right, he doesn't need to say anything else. He's in the good category. I'm going to go and fucking haze the rest of them. But, but that's, that's I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's that's part of like what the army does, what the military does to you. It's, it makes you stop looking at everyone as good until they fuck you over. And it makes you look at everyone as shit until they prove it otherwise. Which is kind of, oh, mate, I, I still operate like that. You kind of have to. Yeah, reputation built on performance and, and yeah, who you are and those people stand out. Um, I'm I'm not upset by it in any way. I guess if you're going to join the military and you're like, after Kapuka and then and then Singo, I kind of I kind of knew it was coming. And I'm just like, oh yeah, no worries. Like, like I said, I, I didn't have a. I was 27 by then. 
Um, had worked my way up and had two Australian titles. Um, it's nothing like, you know, you get punched and kicked and stuff like that. But when you start fighting two full tie rules and people are hitting you with elbows, like the first time I got hit with one of them, A, I was cut and bleeding straight away. And B, I just went, what the fuck was that? I just held on to old mate and hoped I was on my feet. Like, you know, little things like that just once again breed resilience and you're like oh yep that was it now i need to get better at that and do this thing but um for me that transition into military and i think it set me up i've transitioned a few times i think so this is probably why i'm okay at it or good at it or i know what drives me to be successful um i had two aussie belts i was fighting for another one and i kicked a guy's uh right on his knee um and it put a put a fracture down my shin so um, in 2006, that was, um, and that was the end of that career. Essentially, um, I'd kind of—I was never going to be a world champion. I'm not claiming to be at that level, like I, you know those guys like Corbett and Wayne Parr, and I was fortunate to fight on their undercards and stuff. But for me, that that segued me into the military. I kind of looked around Toowoomba and I was doing average jobs. I'm like, I don't want to be stuck here and do this. Like, I've got a skill set. Where does this fit in now? And I really thought, you know, I looked at, you know, some documentaries and Discovery Channel and saw what the Yanks were doing in Iraq. And I'm like, that looks all right. I could fit in there. Like, I literally sort of joined from there. Like, I was, yeah, at Kapuka in 2007, I think. So um, that's where I thought, I, A, I had to transition because I'd put 10 years into a career where it's five, six days a week. Um, lost a little bit of identity, but... I know I've got to set goals and so for me military was, was somewhere I thought I'd fit 100% yeah I because I, I just think it's interesting that that process of people how you received and the dynamic uh, of, of a guy coming in so there's corporals so coming back to being a role player I think everybody human beings a role player I don't think anybody knows what they're doing they just pretend they know what they're doing. Um, and then they get the experience afterwards, right? So mums, I think we probably spoke about this before, you know, mums before childbirth are like, I don't know, they have a kid. They just pretend to be a mum, right? They don't know what they do. Same with dads. They're like, you kind of learn off your, you know, your past experience, but you just, you make it up until you are dad. You get corporals and sergeants who are probably role-playing, uh, harder roles than they needed to coming out of a 1980s training army no one had deployed Vietnam they were probably hard men that would have been like cool you're a fighter um, I was shooting fucking Charlie off the wire at, at 19 so they were probably hard men right they were probably just as fearless in that regard as you were and then progressively over the generations that just transitioned into being well, this is how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to intimidate, and this is what leadership is. I just got to intimidate the, the the new guys. I'm a I'm a young corporal. I've got zero life experience, um, and now I've got to get eight dudes to do what I tell them to do. I've got to be the big dick. How am I going to do that? I'll be a bully. Oh god, there's a guy with a warlord tattoo. Let's fucking smoke him. Oh shit, Australian kickboxing champion. Um, <laughs> hey mate, I. <laughs> And I think we got a good fair share of people made stories up about Afghan for us and our trip and the boys after us that made our job as leadership a lot easier because of like, 
oh, they're Afghan vets. Like, they know what they're doing. They made stories up in their heads, and, and everything's always Hollywoodized as to what happened. And so learning to actually use proper leadership in a situation was probably a little bit easier for us, you know what I mean? Maybe? Yeah, I, I 100% get what you're saying, and it's it's a fine line, you know, like... You, you turn up at Kapuka and they try and do that, you know, shock of capture thing. You get there at night and uh, to be fair, like a lot of the staff that, are, you know, walking up and down the hallways and yelling at you and just, just trying to confuse you and stuff like that. A 27-year-old brain doesn't work like a the 18, 19-year-old brain. I think we were there about two minutes and one bloke's like, this is not for me. See you later. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, we're probably in a... We've chosen. We've chosen accountability. We have chosen to be part of a, a job or a team or a unit that's potentially going to be blown up and shot at. So I commend you, mate. If, if, if someone yelling in your face and is your limit, well, yeah, don't waste anyone else's time. And the staff did a good job there by eliminating. Why, why would you spend any more money training a person for that outcome that couldn't handle that? Like, good luck to him. I, I hope he found his place. Like, it, this is not a judgmental thing either, but... The staff have, a, a, I think, an accountability to... It's such a fine line. You don't want to bully people, but oh, you kind of need to start breaking people down. And I, I definitely respect that. And, and I, I did get along with a lot of the staff, I think, because I was one of the older blokes. Um, yeah, first night, I'm like, yeah, tough guy, warlord, all this stuff. And one of the one of the full track series, like, well, would you like to fight me, champ? And I said, oh, if the money was right. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> wrong answer, pal. I'm like, well... Righto, I'll just, I'll just pick up my socks and be on my way, like, no dramas. Like. But, yeah, I get that the staff has, has got an accountability to, I'm not saying bully or, or, or shock people, but that bloke was just a, a good reminder for me. I'm like, mate, if you, you know, a lot of, I don't think a lot of you peop, the people around me at that time realised how lucky that we were. Like, you're almost getting paid to be a professional athlete if you go into a combat corps. You get up, you get fed, and they're going to pay you to train. Like, I used to have to do that stuff before going to a shitty job. Like, that's that's the way my brain rationalized it. I'm like, this is like a training day. Like, awesome. I'm learning new stuff. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I think that, that contextualize, being able to contextualize exactly what is going I think it's car structures, man. I think in the future, we're going to end up in car structures where they're like, okay, Let's not let the fucking knuckle dragon fucking Neanderthals play with the worker ants. Like you're gonna have warrior ants, you're gonna have worker ants, you're gonna have blue collar, and they are not. Gonna, and they're like, hey, look, let's just figure this shit out. Warriors, they don't. They learn some skills, and they they get some. They develop some emotional and intellectual traits when they go overseas, and they see things. That is not bad, negative, or neutral. That is just what happens within that cast. Um, and people are better suited to that then there are some intellectual motherfuckers out there who just don't develop. Oh, no, there's some soft, emotional dudes that, that probably don't do well stabbing people in the eyeball with a bayonet, right? Where, and, 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 and that's what, I think that's where it's going, bro. I think, honestly, caste systems in society. I think it has to, mate. Like, the Divergent movie is the best predictor of the future I think there can be. That's, I mean, this is the first one insurgent divergent whatever the fuck it was called where you've got some people are good at farming that's good i mean we we, we kind of have that already um not subconsciously the wrong is the wrong word. we have that class 
or car structure without without talking about it but it's going to become more defined i think we're going to, as we evolve like the next stage of evolution is people are going to some people are going to start becoming really good at some shit like i was talking to a few people i talk about this all the time but as the the concept of even um autism being the next step in in evolution as far as people who are focused less emotional more focused on one or two things that they're amazingly good at but not real good at anything else because humans at the moment are just super generalists like we're a little bit okay at everything we're still a bit emotional we're still a little bit logical and then some people just excel at one or two things and then they, that's good but they're still okay at the rest of them but i think moving forward we're going to evolve into something that some people like those those group over there are fucking wicked fighters make those like ants like make them your soldiers those ones over there are really good at gardening so make them your gardeners those ones that still got the emotional piece but could not fucking play tetris to save their life there's no logic in their brain it's just emotion there's a role for that 100 percent. that's not a negative but at the moment we're in we're in that like gray area in history where it's like no everybody's the same we're all equal make everybody gray literally gray like merge all the colors together merge fucking everything together it's like nah that's not fun for anyone i think nah. we'll go there no nah, it's 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 not feasible either like i think um with my role now you go and speak to engineers and you know some really intelligent people work in defense industry as engineers like i'm if you think you've got the whole skill set like i i know i don't belong there after a quick conversation with them like they're nice guys but they're just they're speaking about all this stuff with the new vehicles and i'm just like oh yeah cool so they go forward and they do this like <laughs> you know if you think you've got that whole skill set you are you're you're kidding yourself a little bit um and i think when you come through like i did the one thing you probably realize is is to have that humility a little bit you're not the biggest baddest dog in the yard and and if you've had a a 10-year fight career you find that out pretty quickly like there's plenty of people that could have you know eaten me for breakfast so you, you have that that humility and that hunger just to learn and be better i think that drives that as well yeah 100 um because it's, it's like, I just feel that it's what people do more of when they're kids, when they're growing and developing that, that, that sort of allows them to progress. So some people are gifted fucking football players. Like my cousin, uh, sorry, my nephew, Rowan, fucking retarded at school. He's a typical boy, but you put anything in his fucking hand, a ball, a fucking bat, he is a Jedi, mate. Genius. And that's because he's what he's always done, right? And And you see people who train when they're kids and they start going to the gym and they do like excessive amounts of upper body workouts as opposed to lower, but they seem to be better at it. So one of the boys over West was a state sprinter. He just never seemed to get lactic acid build up when he went and did selection training. He was a fucking freak. And, and so these particular people that, that, that grow when they're doing it, I think it's exacerbated. I think, um, what you do when you're younger allows that benefit and you've you got 60 years to be good at something you've got 40 years where you can actually value add to society um, and to build into that and to be an absolute expert in your particular field you've got 40 years to provide something to society that's it so what 20 to 20 to 60 you're done probably less than that hey 20 to 50 if it's physicality 30 years if it's physicality i mean that's that's a caveat right so if it, humans are moving to the point where or that revolving to the point where brains are going to be worth more than brawn 
They already are, let's be honest. You're good at building computers, you're probably going to make more money than the dude who fucking lays bricks, unless you own the bricklaying company. But, like, that 100%, like, <coughs> when you're young, you've you got a certain amount of years of, to provide value. But, yeah, I think brains will, brains will start to become um, good, hopefully. Elon Musk pulls his finger out. will be good into our 80s, 90s, 160s. All still be good to go. But going back to what was was saying, look, you, you turn up at Kapuka and there's some people that pull out on the first day um, and they realise it's not for them. Like, that is the reason why a cast kind of model will uh, works or, or why we used to have that kind of model and we're not allowed to anymore and why it's, everything's getting all fucked up. Like, people... The argument is that you take people through training and you try and weed them out. That is the point. So that you get the end finished product is an army full of people or a defense force full of people that are good at their job. All the ones that we, we, we had these barriers in place, we do X, Y, Z through training so that the people who don't like it, people who aren't good at it, people who are going to crumble in fucking combat are weeded out. And now we're, we're kind of removing that because you can't. You've got to be open and diverse for everyone. And in reality, it's because you've got to get recruiting numbers up and you've got to get people through the gates. So you just get rid of all the barriers and you fucking put gender um, or, or sorry diversity targets in or quotas in and you just pump everyone through. And that ticks that box. Like, cool, we're, we're, we look good. We're a 2021 model army. Everyone's happy. Everyone's loved and hugged and whatever. There's no hard stuff going through training. And then you fucking get out and you're like, why is everyone blowing up at DVA and everyone's fucking got broken brains? It's like, because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. And like, I'm, I'm going to go off a little tangent. I know we'll probably come back to this, but I thought if, if someone's going to sink Swiss Aid, it might as well be me, right? So... <laughs> There's, I listened to our fucking mate give a big rant for two hours last night down in Canberra. And 99.999% of the shit that comes out of his mouth is utter, utter trash. Um, so there's a little gem here and there, but normally it's stolen from someone else's organization. That's why it sounds really good. Um, one of the things he brought up was everybody, if you do, he's a big fan of the idea. If you do a day in the military, you're a veteran, you're in fucking title, everything, because you wanted to sign that dotted line. I'm like, that is great in a fucking bubble-wrapped hug, hugs and kisses world. The reality is, if you've got a group of people, if you have a system where you get off the bus at Kapuga and from the first minute, the job of those instructors is to weed out the people who should never be there because their brains are going to break down the track and they're doing that successfully. But that person, because they signed the dotted line and did a minute on the bus, they are now a veteran. That means DVA is responsible for all the people who fucking sign up to join the military who never should have been there. And that's a fucking problem because they are the people who are getting weeded out because recruiters in their limited training, sorry, um, instructors in their limited training to to be able to identify the people that are going to be psychologically broken, weed them out, but we're still saying go to DVA and fucking get 400 grand and a gold card for the rest of your life because you did a day at Kapuka. I'm sorry, that does not fucking sit well with me when we've got... A dude on the podcast right now got blown up overseas. We've got guys that are fucking gunfighters doing stuff overseas. That is why DVA was put there, to help those fucking people join the army. I mean, no, you don't have to fucking go to war for DVA to be able to help you out. That is not, the, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is doing a day in the army, was that the answer to fucking give everybody the, the fucking pin on their, um, on, on their fucking chest to go, I'm a veteran now? I disagree. And I disagree because it's fucking causing more problems than it's, than it's solving. The only, it's solving one problem. 
It's silencing people who fucking want to whinge about the fact that the old legislation didn't call him a veteran. And that's one problem that got solved. And the problems it created was DVA is now flooded with 600,000 fucking veterans that a, a large percentage of, well, I haven't got the numbers, but a percentage of those people never left Kapuka. Another bigger percentage never left Singo or their fucking IET training. Yet DVA is now responsible. And I would love to, I mean, I can only, I can only fucking voice an opinion, but I would love to see the stats on the backlog that's clogging DVA right now. How many of those people have done more than a year in the military? It's fucking gross, mate, because the, the rumors or the, the reports coming out of battalions are that dudes that just got off the bus from Singo heard you could get 40 grand for fucking hearing loss and they all just pumped it through. Like, how the fuck are you deaf, cunt? You've been in the army for fucking 20 minutes. You probably are because you, you, you get deaf pretty quick, but you should not be clogging DVA system with people who have done one day in the army or one day in the military. Maybe there should be a, a whole other organisation or department that looks after those people. That is a whole other argument. Leaving people I without think re- fucking... I, I think absolutely, mate. You get rid of the Department of Veteran Affairs is warlike or operational service, and then you have another department, and you work, go ex-service, the ex-service organisation. Yeah, but it just becomes a workers' compensation thing. If you're a kapooka and fucking fall or something and break your neck, of course you're entitled to insurance. It's just like everyone is, but... Yeah, I, I, that's the same. I haven't been overseas. I Defense Workers' office. Compensation and Department of Veteran Affairs. Yeah, 100%. And that way, people can't weaponize the veteran word, right? So everyone likes to throw around the veteran as a political football. Veterans are killing themselves. Nope. Okay, well, let's define what a veteran is. Let's really figure out who's killing themselves. Uh, and then let's weaponize this 400 veterans are killing themselves. I'm like, nah, probably not 400 a year. Um, not from fucking overseas warfighters, mate. I, I looked at all the studies. Serving members, you know what I mean? Like using the word veteran to encompass everybody has made this big grey fucking muddy area where nobody knows how to go forward. And it's just like being gay, black, or both. You can't talk about solutions in that area. If you're not a veteran, you can't have an opinion. If you're not black, you can't have an opinion on black problems if you're not fucking gay you can't have an opinion on gay problems this is the thing where we're playing identity stuff where if you're not a veteran you can't have opinions on it so now everyone I, you know lived, like i think it's, it's lived a experience we, we don't value lived experience and what what sada said before what so you got a, a person that maybe have done one day went straight down to digger james or got out of there at kapuka so never never really saw the real army we know that's not the real army right like it's a, a training establishment so we haven't even approached the actual problem, which is, you mentioned it, is recruiting. We're recruiting the wrong people. Like, just, you know, some of the people I've seen come through for a combat role, I'm like, yeah, sorry, like, you're obviously just a number or a statistic. But then because of that one day and we failed to, to look at that actual problem, DVA's got to carry that person for a pension for the, for the rest of their life. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, I think there's that because there's no link between DVA and defense. So defense don't give a shit, right? Defense are like, I need fucking numbers. And we know that. We know the transition authority, joint transition authority is going to bridge that gap. Prior to that, it was defense was like, I don't give a fuck. We need numbers, right? And they weren't talking at DVA. And DVA is like, why the fuck are all these people putting in claims and 400,000? Like, we're hemorrhaging dudes. People at DVA are quitting at record numbers because veterans 
per se, right, which pisses me off in another sense, is that why do specific cores... When you're at, at two commando uh, and you want to be all-encompassing, I guarantee he was not uh, encouraging of uh, a community-based system where his support staff and his, his non-combat... Who are you talking about? Heston Russell at fucking two commando wants to talk about we're all one voice. I guarantee if a cook came up to him during his trip and had some valuable input to add on his mission or... He was like, no, you're a fucking pogue. Don't fucking talk to me. But now he gets out. He's politicized because he gets more votes because he's an influencer. And that is purely what it is. I don't understand why when you're in the army, everyone is like, no, this is my call. This is who I am. This is what I joined. And then we get out. We're like, no, no, everyone gets along. Everyone should get along. We're all veterans. Mate, it's the, it's the exact same reason why the Greens want to lower the voting age to 16. If the Greens want to solve the world, world fucking environmental problems, you talk to people with jobs, houses, mortgages, cars, families, polluters, right? 16-year-olds aren't creating a great deal of fucking world-level pollution. So you want to change stuff in, in the world space. You, you, you want to impact um, people over 18. Let's just start that as a baseline because they're the ones that run factories and fucking big industry. So they're the ones that they're lobbying against. They start off with these great ideas going, let's lobby against these fucking factories and that, that are causing all these problems. And then they're like, well, hang on a minute. Now we need to actually get voted in before we can do anything. Who's, who's our actual fan base? It's uni students, high school students, and children. So they're like, all right, what do we do? Let's fucking broaden the, the demographic of people that can love me. It's the exact same model. It's like, I give a fuck about one thing and one thing only originally, and that is solving environmental problems. So it's me fighting against fucking whatever. And then it's like, no, hang on a minute. First, I've got to get my big fan base. And, and in order to be heard, I need a massive, massive fan base. So now I'm going to open the, I'm going to move the goalposts. So left and right of arc are getting way, way wider. And that is, the dude was working for us. And he had his, I'm not going to go into his views, he had a very strict fucking set of views and, and who he wanted to work with and the way he wanted to present what he was going to do and that was one thing. And then the minute he needed to fucking run an idea to get into politics, it was, all right, I need everyone to love me. And the best way to get the veteran community at the moment, unfortunately, if you want the veteran community to love you, make them hate DVA and fucking tell them that the, yeah, if you want to solve everything, it's a fucking DVA's problem, you don't have to do anything yourself, fuck the government, they have to fix everything, it's all on them. And let's broaden the fucking brackets of who, who a veteran is and, and, and who can be my fucking fan or follower base. Let's broaden it right out and then I'm good to go. And again, like that is a fucking short-sighted solution because that is a solution to getting you followers. Broadening the bracket makes the whole fucking block we went through before makes the whole problem more complex. There's more fucking um, people with more d different needs, different backgrounds, different stories. So what is the end state? Is the end state to solve problems for, for dudes who have gone overseas and got fucking dramas from it? Or is the end state to get elected and then fuck the problem because it's been here forever, it's not going away? Like, I, I know where, where what I believe is going on at the moment. And, mate, I listened to... um, Sorry, I know we've got Wazza on to talk about Wazza, but I'm fucking going in a rabbit hole here. I listened to Unforgiven 60 the other day with Jackie Lambie. And and I honestly, mate, I, there, was a, there was a time that I, I had a lot of fucking... Um, not not hate, but I didn't have a lot of time for Jackie Lambie before because the stuff she's done and said and 
running the same narrative of getting fucked DVA, knowing for a fact that she can never be, as an independent, can never be responsible for DVA. So fuck them, it's their fault. They've got all the problems. I'll never have to fix it, so don't worry about it. So you make everyone hateful and angry and you divide people and you make them grumpy and that's the problem with the world today. That's what she did with the veteran community. That's all I thought. And then I listened to her on Unforgiven 60 and they did a fucking wicked job of stepping back. Like we, we know where their views may have laid before the podcast. They just step back and ask questions. And some shit, I'm not going to lie, a lot of um, the ranting, the fucking emotion and the, the, the hate in Lambie was still there and it still made me a bit sick. But there was parts of her life story that I'm like, oh, fuck, I get it. Like I can see where she became who she is. Um, and, and a lot of what she's doing is driven by a want to change things just doesn't have a roadmap to fucking make any changes and maybe got lost along the way and, and got into politics and realised the political game was about staying relevant and staying in the conversation more than it was about solving problems but um, fuck I've gone down a rabbit hole now I forgot where I was going um, but that's that seems to be the problem in this space at the moment the, the people who we're putting on fucking pedestals in front of TV cameras are doing it for the fact that they get to keep being in front of cameras they're not doing it for the fact that they want to solve problems because there is no logical answer coming out of anyone's mouth that's going to solve a fucking problem other than what Open Arms is already doing. Yeah, it's definitely an agenda. Yeah. Good. Get back in the convo, fucking Mozart, and I'll (laughs) shut up. No, it's definitely an agenda with a lot of people that get involved in the space. And I'll be honest, my issue with Jackie Lambie was without consulting us and who we are and what we need, you need to collaborate with families of people um, that have had issues, had dramas, um, and work those two voices together. You can't just go, a family person that hasn't served can't be the, the, the figurehead or the... Um, and as a parent, I'd, I'd hate to think what it's like to lose a child. Like, don't get me wrong, and, and this has happened. But you need to work those voices together. You can't have families going off on tangents that aren't what we need or or we're, we'll provide solutions. This is why everyone's so against the Royal Commission. Just ask us and we'll tell you. But the broadening of the veteran term, I'm sitting in Coco's house like because my house is a bit of a shit fight at the moment. The people like us with complex needs, like I rely on this leg to get me to work, to pick up my kids, to do all this stuff. The broadening of that veteran um, term or the, or the, the base with DVA has pushed our complex needs almost more to the back of the bus. So you ring DBA and they're like, "What do you mean? Like, you know, there's not a lot oh, of." I don't have. I don't have a fucking leg. Oh, been. Yeah, I I don't throw too much shade. And to be honest, I'm just like, um, and this came from working with, you know, Philip Thompson for years. Like, we came to a point. I think is probably drunk on one of the first Invictus games actually, where you you can be the. You can sit outside throwing stones at DVA or get inside the tent, make your voice heard and try and make it change so that people that go into combat in the next 10, 20 years aren't, you know, pushing the same stones we were trying to get, you know, a prosthetic or or something sorted that you need to live by. Like, that's the sort of attitude I think we adopted a long time ago and it's obviously doing Tomo pretty well. Like, the PM's listening to him and, and more people should be. There's only a finite budget, mate, right? At the end of the day, you're an implement of war, right? As fucking gay as that sounds. 
we joined the army for our own little snowflake reasons. Ah, oh, you know, my mum didn't love me. My dad didn't keep paying me off attention. I don't have any friends. I got my head kicked in. I'm brain damaged. I want to prove myself. I'm a man. I'm, I'm full how, of... What? How many reasons have you got? <laughs> well, whatever it is. I'm talking about a, a vast... Like, there's a demographic of people that join the army. There's no such thing as altruistic behaviour. I most behavior. of those boxes, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, you got, you got me eight out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> So there's no real altruistic behavior. I, I fucking I'm 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 not becoming cynical, but I I I think there are people who try to fix things because they have they're empathetic. Um, but I think, and which which comes across as pretty good, but but deep down, people are still psychological egotism is is the driver. Unfortunately, we were fucking weapons of war, mate. Uh, you're a tool. You're literally a cog in a fucking machine, and you go to war something fucking happens and and we're the only fucking country on the planet that looks after people and now we get back and they're like no no you have to look after me no they don't fucking even have to look after you the no, Roman, country's doing it so you know where the term vet, the veterinarian come from here's a fucking little here's a fact for veterinarians were for old busted veterans from the Roman army that couldn't do shit anymore and they went you can go and look after the horses and the animals right you can be you can you can continue your service as a veterinarian right and look after the the fucking livestock I'm pretty sure mate Keegs <laughs> you go- better be 100% Google sure it, mate Google it. fantastic I'm telling you mate so they they had employment but that was it they're like cool and and the the Romans they did a they did a reform uh, down the track where they said hey look if you do 25 years in the Roman army we'll give you a house and a land plot there you go go fucking bananas I just yeah I'm just getting we'll come a, back while, while Keegan, it sounds like DVA owe me a horse <laughs> <laughs> but literally this this came up the other day I was having a conversation with, with D actually we were talking about DVA stuff and the big word from the space that's missing is accountability um, I chose to do this job. I chose to be deployed. I willingly went out on patrol that day. I, as a man, need to accept the consequences. Like, yep, I lost a leg, but but I'm I'm still here. Like, accountability is is the the big word that's really sort of missing from the whole piece. I think. Um, and we when we talk about DVA, what about the bloke that does twenty years as a concreter? 20 years as a brickie. What, he, he doesn't get fuck all. What benefits does he get? There's no DVA for him. His back's just as bad as he has. His body's just as twisted up and messed up. Like, we should be we should be thankful. Like, yeah, there's, there's got to be streams and pathways that we can help DVA fix some solutions with lived experience and some quality, you know, knowledge. And, you know, like Sut said before, the heap of guys turning up to to a battalion and they're all putting in tinnitus claims because they heard someone got a payment well you need to you need to bring your system into the 21st century and just be like all right have a streamlined computerized system such and such busted his ankle on this day it's all logged professionally and then that goes to dva like and that's your file not stories about oh yeah i was at this event one day you know we all know there was people not really there that are, are taking the piss a little bit as well there's some real simple solutions for a lot of this stuff, but I can never throw shade at DVA. And, and like I was, I was saying, what what about blokes that have just, you know, busted themselves out for jobs they chose, like we did, their professions? Yeah, there, there's no 
there's no organisation that helps them out when they're busted. There's workers' comp. If they hurt themselves at work, they'll get workers' comp. Other than yeah. that, yeah, that's it. you got fucking old band back. Because this is what society fucking loves veterans. They fucking do, mate. And I'm so proud of it, mate. Australia, America, they fucking love veterans. They see a soldier, but they still look at a... And I'm t- Calls were less than relevant in World War Two, right? Because there was fucking German bombers, battleships, and fucking things. They were like, wherever you were on the planet, there was a pretty good chance you were going to get blown the fuck up, mate. Right? I get that. Calls were not as relevant, so everyone's a veteran. Old sixty-year-old. I know. I know. Like, I know it's different, and I'm not trying to be a dick. Yeah, you put your hand up, and you and you serve your country, and that is fucking fantastic. But getting involved in in fucking combat where you there's 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 a finite end state to what's going to happen and those guys coming back i i I don't know no you keep running mate keep running you're pulling yourself (laughs) up you don't want to get in trouble mate no i get what you're saying there, there has to be... I mean, the, the, the issue is what I think that we're facing. There's a few. One, there is no accountability. What was is going down the track? We don't encourage people to take ownership of their own fucking lives. We're like, we, we build a model in Australia where it's... If you've got a problem, it's a government's problem. We've got a massive... We were over-governed, obviously. Um, but the other one is, yeah, we've opened... We've opened the, the, the... We've moved the goalposts. We've opened the fucking thing, funnel. And we've let people in. And now we've got... It's a system that is... It's an insurance company that's managed by a politician who unfortunately has to work it as a spreadsheet. You've got 600,000 people. 500,000 of them are whinging at me because they want me to solve their entire lives' problems. 100,000 have been in gunfights. And there's a few of them that have got fucking real bad injuries. But they're... I'm going to play the numbers game and I'm going to go for the 500,000 whingers and solve their shit and their shit is they just want badges money and fucking who who knows what else tomorrow it'll be something else well, they'll, they'll probably want a purple heart or something eh we won't get into that one next <laughs> but and then I've got this 100,000 people this 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 20% or, or fucking just over or under whatever percentage it is I don't know at the moment but um, that, that were completed their four years did XYZ had some issues the problem, I mean, and this is this is fuck saying it to you was, is that the problem is there's not enough blokes with one leg, because there's gonna we're gonna come to a time where some fucking politician or, or someone's gonna run a spreadsheet and go, these dudes over here, Coco was a um, fucking, I, there's a couple, there's a, you could probably count them on fucking two hands, the blokes that I can remember that have got proper fucking injuries. It's not enough of them doesn't matter if I lose their votes because I've got 500,000 people over here that did a day at Kapuka. They've passed the test. We ticked the box and they are whinging and they are fucking emailing voice of a veteran and they are calling Jackie Lambie saying the government's taking too long to process my claims and that is who's going to get this attention because that's the fucking squeaky wheel. And unfortunately, like the perfect world, yes, I heard people in yesterday's seminar go, we need to put more money to it. We need to put more attention to it. Fucking oath. That is a short answer to a short-sighted problem. Where's that money coming from? We've got to pull it from somewhere else. You pull it from roads. You pull it from defence. Then we're going to blow up next week. Going, oh, there's not enough. There's too many potholes. There's not enough fucking tanks. No one's getting body armour. Like the the complex fucking the way the budget's built down, and this is a money thing, right? It's a fucking no matter. It's it's not hugs and kisses in parliament. It is a budget. Politicians are elected to decide when and how to spend our money. That is fucking it. That is Western democracy. And if we want to pull more money and give it to veterans, 
then fucking aged care is going to suffer. Someone else is going to suffer. I mean, you get where I'm going. Like, I, I would love to say I am. It's all identity, mate. It's all identity politics. I'm a veteran. I'd love to pull all the fucking money from gender studies. No one's allowed to sign up to go to the uni to go to gender studies anymore because fuck it, put the money into Veterans Affairs. Good fucking luck getting that one on, off, off social media. No one's getting elected as the education minister ever again. Like, there is no way to... Once we've developed the welfare system and we've given people... Australia has the gold standard of veteran care. Wait, I mean, you listen to Maloney. Go and listen to the podcast from last week with Mo. He got shot in the fucking throat. The only way he could afford to buy a house was to sell his Medal of Gallantry. Because there's no fucking DVA system in the UK going, hey, 400 grand in a gold card. Of course you can, mate. You got it fucking shot in the throat. Like, no, he to buy a house, he had to sell his Medal of Gallantry. There's obviously more to it. But, like, we have the gold standard of veteran care in Australia. But because we've developed, we've set the bar so high, and we've developed a welfare model where we give, 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 we don't ask a lot in return, it's not enough. People want more. And then they're like, all right, well, let's give them more. Let's solve this fucking problem by giving them more. No. And I mean, everyone's got their own solution to solve world problems, but I think was is right. The only way to solve the current problem in the veteran space is to demand accountability from individuals. To go, we're not, the budget's there. What you get is what you get. That's fine. We're not going to drop it down, but it's not going up anymore. If you want to solve some problems, you've got to put your hand up. You've got to put some fucking effort in. You've got to get off the couch and come and do some shit yourself. And before I end this rant, this is going to lead perfectly segue into my next point. The government, the DVA has fucking identified that there is a problem with suicide in the veteran community. It's not, it's not they're not fucking ignoring it. They identified it. 300,000 people signed a petition saying we want a Royal Commission into DVA suicide, into veteran suicide. We got a rolling commissioner. That wasn't enough. Exactly the same thing, except it keeps going always. It's not a one-off. It's a fucking always. But then the people lobbying for it, their hero complex said, they've solved my problems, I'm now irrelevant, I need to go and shut up. Nope, I don't like it anymore, I'm going to keep fucking pushing for it. Anyway, they got 300,000 people to sign a petition to say we want to fucking investigate veteran suicide. You would hope that a fucking lot of those were veterans. Otherwise, it's it's an irrelevant petition. DVA spends fucking millions through open arms on developing and working with... uh, is it Living Works, um, the the assist program? These programs developed in Canada and the US to be the world the the gold standard in suicide prevention training, mental health awareness, signs, symptoms, mental health awareness, and suicide prevention. So on one hand, we've got three hundred thousand people saying, investigate it, do something. On the other hand, DVA is like fucking oath, we will we'll spend millions of taxpayer money bringing these courses to Australia and offering them for free to veterans. And how many people, like this is coming from people working at open arms. Most of the people working at open arms are veterans. So when you get on the phone, you blow up at open arms, you're blowing up at veterans. From the horse's mouth, they're running these courses to empty rooms because no one fucking wants to go because it's easy to sit at home and go, fuck the government, fuck DVA. It's a little bit harder, not much, but a little bit harder to register for a free course to go and learn how to identify signs and symptoms of suicide, mental health decline so that you can actually do something, so that you can see when your mate's about to kill himself and you know what to do and you know the next steps to take. But no one wants to fucking do that because it means they have to take ownership of their own space and put some fucking effort in. It's easier to sit back, call Lambie and Heston Russell and go, put me on the list because fuck the government, I want more. And that was a fucking rant, mate, but that, it, it gives me the shit. 
Like open arms is doing almost everything that the public is demanding of them. And open arms for people who are watching this or listening to this that don't understand is the public facing arm of DVA. They are spending money in the right spots. They are fucking solving problems. The only issue they've got right now is everything they do has to be research based. So we can't have someone who's really good at fucking social media jumps on Channel 10 The Project and goes, come to me, I've got all the solutions, who rolls them out shooting from the hip because he's fucking thought of it last night in the shower. They actually have to put this, these theories to the test. They have to fucking try and break them. They have to put them to a university study before they'll roll out products that are going to impact people's lives. So if you come up with an idea today, it might be rolled out in four years. And yes, we're going to fucking lose people. That's a hard fucking truth to swallow. Like We have lost way too many mates to suicide. We're not just saying this shit because it sounds sexy. We've, we're in this game because we've lost heaps of mates. And we're going to lose more. That's a fucking hard factor to deal with. But in order for the, the interventions that are on the table at the moment, that, that, the, um, that this commission's come up with, the points that they want to fix, that the JTA's working on, are going to solve a fuckload of problems. But it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be five years minimum. And that we've got to deal with. And now I'll shut the fuck up. No, I've got nothing Back but you, was. good things to say about Open Arms either. Like, um, yeah, I called them probably mid last year. Um, they had me in to just, just to talk about some things with a psych within a couple of weeks and, and a good one at that. So, yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about Open Arms. Um, my issue with accountability is not for the, just for the individual, but so, you know, you join the Army or Defence or whatever. You got an extra water bottle out of the queue store at Singo, they'll they'll chase you for it. But they can't tell you who was at a critical incident overseas and people are getting lifelong pensions and stuff for, for dreams and or the, or second, third hand stories. Like it's crazy this this lack of accountability or communication between defence and DVA, like you you should and I'm not saying everyone had to be at a critical incident to develop some sort of um, condition, whether it's depression, anxiety, just a transition disorder, moving on from defence. But I think we were over-diagnosing PTSD. Like, if if you were not at a traumatic incident, tell me how it can be post-traumatic stress. Oh, fucking perfect. <laughs> Un-fucking wrap that can of worms, mate. Look, so let's I, talk about. Can we talk about the the incident, mate? Let's let's do it now. Let's because people are like, who the fuck is he? Are these who the fuck are these people talking shit? Let's talk. Let's talk. Paul Warren and 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 the incident, mate. I know we don't want to talk about it, but let's, let's can we bring it up? Let's talk about the specific day and and more more what you were going through laying there post that and and how you dealt with it moving forward over the last sort of fucking eleven years. Yeah, no dramas, mate. So I think um, I was actually thrown into the the dog squad to sort of... um, We got told, you know, by the RSM at the time that they'd picked their alpha team and and these were the guys that were going and stuff. And then next minute, with four weeks' notice, they're like, no, a couple of you blokes are going into alpha company and see you later. You're getting deployed, which is what we all wanted. Everyone joined not to sit on the sideline anyway. So um, got thrown over with a really good team, like, I, I was pretty lucky the section Jusek and I went into Sammy Fowle obviously Ben Renato Jimmy Thorne like yeah quality team um, I would like to actually you can remember that whole section yeah 
Yeah. And and you can remember the whole platoon, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're cool. getting at. Yeah. All right, mate. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd, we'd actually only... It was a bit of a crazy sort of thing for something that was meant to be well organised. We we actually met them in Kuwait and we're like, hey, we're with you. And they're like, okay, who are you? But, you know, stuff shook itself out. Um, I think I got there... That was early June, I think. Got got in. Um It was crazy because Keats had been training for a year and, and sort of, you know, was picked and one of the best soldiers in the whole battalion, really. And then somehow I'm, I'm in the game a week before him, waiting for him to get in so he can tell me what's going on because uh, he knew all the information and stuff. But um, same as what you blokes went through, the early patrols, you don't really know what to expect. It's just hot and it's dusty and, you know, the locals are a bit weird and backwards and it's like going back to biblical times and, and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, yeah, you just wanted to be involved. And I think from my background, I knew I could handle stressful situations. Like, that that had been built or, or bashed into me. Like, um, and you, you, without sounding arrogant, you're keen for that to unfold just to get it out of the way so you, you know what you're dealing with and then you can go on from there. Um, most of our stuff early on was pretty quiet. We were with um, Pete Connolly at the time. We were like the CO's tack party, so... We did a fair bit of moving around, the AO and stuff. Uh, the 17th of July, he asked us just to, to jump in with one one platoon, I think it was, just to join them and, and sort of do whatever they were doing. Um, so we got there that night, sort of patrolled in about one in the morning on the 18th of July, and we weren't tasked with too much, to be honest. We were just meant to be at the back, sort of puck handling and, and sort of you know, just assisting really, like not having a critical role in that sort of mission. Um, yeah, walked in in the dark and it's all sorts of fun when you're with the 58 just falling over all the time because you've got no depth, depth perception and stuff like that. Um, yeah, everyone had done their job, the engineers, and put us down and I was just sort of lying down behind a 58. Um, obviously the sun had come up about then, so we just got into to sort of, they were meant to be doing a cordon and search, I think, for an IED uh, maker or someone in that in that complex that was, was doing that sort of stuff. She was all pretty quiet. I remember sort of, yeah, Benny having a joke, something about donkeys and stuff, like not long before that. So just a, a typical day, really. And I was in that spot for, I think, around two hours. So you're not going to lie perfectly still behind a gun for two hours. Um... I'd moved my foot and boom, I triggered um, an anti-purse mine. Um, yeah, launched me up into the air. But I think obviously the worst part of that day, that was wired up to, to mortar rounds. And um, yeah, I, I remember landing, sort of hit the ground and just dust and my ear ringing and had no idea what was going on. And we had locals around us, so I didn't, you know, they normally avoid IED spots. They're good at knowing what's going on. I thought we'd been RPG'd from a different feature or something like that. That was my first thought. And I started to crawl a little bit. And, um, yeah, it wasn't working really well. Looked down and my right leg was gone. So it had taken the, the anti-purse mine and taken it straight off. Um, probably below the knee at that stage before I got into surgery. Um, and Benny was the closest person to me. He was probably maybe two and a half, three metres away. Um, I thought I'll get, try and get back to the closest person. Um, 
yeah, couldn't crawl really well, so I rolled over and I, I saw um, Thorny. He came over and tourniqueted me and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I was conscious and sort of with it through this phase and because um, we all know that's not the end of it either. Once they blow you up, there's normally small arms fire or some sort of follow-up. Um, when they were with me, I was sort of asking, you know, where Benny was. He was the, the closest bloke and, and no one would say anything to me. So I think I, I think I had a fair idea then. But near the end of it... Um, Obviously, veins collapsed. I just lost a limb. Um, they punched one of the things into my shoulder, like trying to feed fluid into my bone marrow, which honestly hurt more than the leg. Um, it was pretty painful. So, yeah, just punched one of them in. And near the end, when they got a chopper into me, like I, I was starting to go cold and wanted to go to sleep, which is probably not the best sign. Um, but, yeah, once once that chopper got there, I was... I don't know, the Yanks are just good at their job, you know, I just had a you just felt safe and you, and you knew it was going to be all right then i think um yeah because because this is so so deep diving it bro um that feeling cold and wanting to go to sleep was that was there a, a hollywood version where you're like this is where i'm gonna fucking die like this, this feels like this is what it feels like in the movies or, and, and you're like, fuck, I need to stay the fuck away because this is where I'm dying. I'm dying right now. Yeah, I was getting I was getting slapped a few times by, by people to keep me awake. Um, and it, it sounds dumb, and it's, not, it's definitely not bravado or anything like that. But you, it's almost like all your adrenaline's been dumped and there's nothing left, and you're just like in this weird peaceful state and you just want to go to sleep. Which is bad, obviously. It's bad. But that's just, yeah. The pain had sort of, the edge had come off that a little bit. And obviously, yeah, with an adrenaline dump, you just, I just wanted to rack you up. So um, the people around me that day, I'm just thankful to them. Like, I think Richo was doing, was, you know, operating SIGs and stuff like that. We were a fair way out in the Baluchi. He got a chopper, he got a chopper there in 16 minutes or something ridiculous. So, I didn't have a long wait, which is good. There were fifty. You mean the fifty-seven thousand people that were there that day? Yeah, yeah. I sort of, you know, with all due respect to to Ben, I never want to, you know, say anything to to, you know, dishonour his memory or anything. But the amount of people that said they were there, I would have been in a U two concert. Like the amount of DVA claims that have gone in over that incident is ridiculous. So. What the fuck does it feel like? Um, can you describe? I don't want to put you in a fucking hole or a fucking drinking coma, mate. No, nah, mate, but I'm good. You, you know, you fucking you don't have a fucking leg, mate. Uh, are you aware of this? And the, what's the pain? What is going through your fucking mind? Like we spoke about, you know, the the enemy, the threat picture, and, and what you were doing. Were you were you rational? Were you coherent in the fact that I've just lost my fucking leg or you just didn't know what yeah I was um, I would sort of knew what was going on Jusek was near me um, we'd have a really good relationship he was just talking me through some stuff um, I think from the minute I looked down and saw it that's just a a memory that sort of burnt in a little bit you're like alright well, that's gone like check to make sure everything else is good and I've, I've yeah 
had two kids afterwards, <laughs> so I'm all right. You're talking uh, about your cock, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just, I don't know, you just do that. It's random. Like, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, from that event, like, it, yeah, when I saw the photos, um, the tib and fib was splayed and just, yeah, foot and ankle was gone. Fair bit of shrapnel up high um, that had dug a few things out, but I'm, I'm the fortunate one. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm sitting here getting to, you know, do my thing and raise two kids. And that that day is not my incident. That's yeah, that's about a bloke that sort of gave everything. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what what. what coming home from that and dealing with that do you think being 27 gave you a little bit more ability to 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 deal with you know a bloke who's gone through lost his leg you come home or would you have fared worse being a young kid oh mate to be fair that's it's a tom i brought this up actually in a meeting like years ago and he said, if this, you know, if you weren't, not who you were, but didn't have the the background you do and, and you were 27 and a little bit older, he goes, you wouldn't be here. Um, which with the statistics we talked about earlier is is, is a bit sad, but it's true. Um, I, I'm not sure how, you know, the young, a young boy could have um, the ability to transition through that. Um, and it's not the whole leg thing. It's the fact that you're in an incident where one of you, you know, a really good mate and a good bloke got killed. Like, that's that's hard to live with. And it definitely, you know, gave me a lot of ups and downs. And to be fair, it still it still does at times. Well, you had a you had a traumatic experience, mate. I think that's a, that's actual PTSD, right? Not my corporal yelled at me at Kapuga. I I just stood on an AP mine, and and as a result. You know, we suffered a casualty, and I fucking have to learn to walk again. Yeah, that's it. I think I was pretty coherent. I got back and got off the, the chopper, and I remember talking to Doc Challen a little bit, and they were just about to throw me on the surgery table. And yeah, I think I was into him about putting a catheter in while I was still awake. I'm like, you're about to knock me out. And I'm, what? Can you wait? <laughs> Thank you, doing that right now. But so I was still coherent with it um, to that point. I think the worst part was um, it was probably the worst day of my life was just waking up from whatever surgeries they put me through and um, I sort of looked around just hoping to see him in a bed somewhere that yeah and then had everyone around me telling me you know what had happened that Benny had been killed but they're just they're looking at me like looking for how I'm going to respond and I'm tied to all this medical shit and I'm like okay you can fuck off now like just give me a minute like but they're all sort of watching for my reaction and i couldn't go anywhere um yeah that that honestly that that's probably the, the toughest thing i've been through and, and the funny thing is is that is that the australian art was the toughest thing the australian army had been through mate outside of that they had learned and read from textbooks from vietnam mate there was nobody current serving in the Australian Army that had been and suffered and learnt how to deal with catastrophic injuries, amputees, and fucking casualties. Since, well, Somali, yet yeah, Somali Rwanda, we you know there was a dude that got killed. Um, 
the fucking army didn't know how to do it, mate. I mean, these 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 are the starts. Of, this is the stuff that you don't want to see continue to happen, right? It's the stuff that you had to deal with. Um, the real reasons for what DBA is there for is to help fucking amputees and stuff, and the and the bullshit battle from there, right? Yeah. So this this is why, like I said earlier, you want to see inside the tent because you've you've got to. If someone's willing to offer that lived experience, and just before we left on our trip, actually, I, I was with a good mate from Tour, um, Ryan Gatley. His brother was a was down at Tudo, and he told me about Damien Tomlinson. Obviously, Damien, two thousand nine was was the start of the defence force learning what blast and and big injuries were. Damien had just been blown up over there in a vehicle and lost both his legs. Um, so yeah, we'd, we'd lost the ability to to know how to deal with it, treat it um, physically, psychologically. We didn't have that. We were guessing, like, which it seems a little bit crazy because from now Massivi, that's just a risk assessment, really. Like, okay, what are the risks? Blast injuries, obviously, um, gunshot injuries. Like, yeah, it's 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 a simple risk assessment. Um, Paul de Gelder got bitten by the shark same year, so. All three of us are sort of, you know, good mates and sort of, yeah, keep each other kicking along to see who was the first one up walking and all that sort of stuff. We probably fed more off each other than the, the system, like you said, was guessing, trying to get us better. I think that's... A, fuck, man, that's got to be the learning curve, right? Like, DVA there to support... And, and not make the same fucking mistakes and we're gonna and, and as much as we sit here at 30 years old I reckon there was World War 2 vets you know that started the Hells Angels um, they were mad dogs and now they're old 90 year old irrelevant people um, what happens in 20 years time when we go to war with X country and we've got to learn what a blast injury is again and how to how to treat with and so th- and, and I don't want to politicise your incident brother um but this is my fucking argument, right? A Royal Commission fixes the problems now. Yep, and we don't fucking solve what's... This is my opinion, and I could be wrong. Somebody fucking stop me. I've read both the policies. If your fucking incident happens now, we do a Royal Commission, we say, fuck, we fucked Paul and fucking Benny and how we handled the whole thing. Let's stop doing that. Right? Let's actually just do a Royal Commission. Let's fucking figure out what we did wrong and let's move forward. And then two years time down the track, we did a Royal Commission of the bushfires. We still haven't implemented any of those things. Um, we're not going to implement any of the stuff from the Royal Commission in veteran suicide, probably. And then 20 years time, we go to another war and we've got to relearn all this fucking bullshit again. Right? Like, oh, the dude doesn't have a fucking leg. He's got to learn to walk again. How do we fucking talk to the dude? How do we... If there's a something that is consistently there to look after veterans, because war is about as constant as fucking taxes and death, then therefore the, a, a, a national commissioner that is there forever that can evolve with it. I don't know. I'm a layman, mate. I'm not a politician. It seems to me like we fucking need to do this, mate. Yeah, there's too many people speaking for us. And like Sat said earlier, because they've broadened this veteran thing, we're the minority now. So are we the most important? probably not we're the most expensive obviously I'm on a $130,000 leg like and if, if that stuff's up you know I, I sort of do get looked after that way 
But even early on, like, they looked... When, when I got back to 2HSB um, in Brisbane, like, they looked through a phone book to send me to a prosthetic place. Like, which goes back to my earlier argument, did Defence not do any sort of risk assessment about blast injuries and have someone who could facilitate this? Like... And the first bloke I went and seen, he just he just shot my dreams down straight away. Like, I was in a wheelchair and, and D came with me actually, and straight away I asked, I'm like, mate, I'm I need to run again, and I'm you know, a bit ambitious. I hadn't even been up walking yet, but old mate's like, oh no, you got too much damage where your pistol was up high, and you're gonna have dramas with a socket fitting in. I just I was nearly in tears actually. Like this bloke was bursting my dreams before, and I only just started working with him and just turned the wheelchair around and got out of there like like no nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work with someone a bit better than you like I wasn't gonna accept that you this bloke was gonna tell me what I was capable of that that's nah that's not gonna fly I fucking can't imagine I literally I mean there's a difference on and um so you're on above the knee amputee which 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 has drastic implications mechanically for, you know and physiologically like you have to learn to walk again above the knee amputees you learn to walk again i'm talking fucking as a layman again mate but below the knee as i'm aware is is easier to 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 learn to to walk again is it yeah your walking and running is still driven by your knee action um you know if you're a below knee like it's still obviously going to be difficult and you're going to have your, your challenges and things like that but once you go up through the knee which means you've got your your full condyle or above the knee so i had a lot of damage from shrapnel behind my knee that i asked defense about photos and what was going on and i didn't find out till a couple of years later when some random dutch dude emailed me and said hey are these your photos i think i was in your surgery i'm like thanks mate hopefully i'm the first person you've sent them to since i'm like laid out naked on this fucking rack (laughs) i'm pretty sure yeah i own that but yeah it, it did you recognize you go, your penis yeah <laughs> yeah i did yeah trying to no tell leg. people it was a cold day but it was 50 plus degrees <laughs> no leg tiny dick warlord tattoo yeah that was me yeah, <laughs> yeah a little like it, it a it, it makes your prosthetics expensive because you've got to come up with a mechanical function that can replicate your knee joint which is is difficult um, even now doing you know the CrossFit stuff we filmed like I've, I'm lucky there's different functions on the knee but I've got to stop and change them so it cycles and does because your knee does so many different functions right and you've, you're relying on this computerized thing to sort of to do that and you do have to walk a little bit differently it's probably more driven by your hip and um, hip flexor and glutes and stuff like that so yeah learning to walk was yeah interesting and the bloke they did send me to he was still making the old school sockets out of like um fiberglass like a fucking pirate yeah so it's still vietnam technology when we're you know when it's 2009 so and you know what unless if you're not an amputee you probably know fuck all about amputees so until it happens to you i don't know good from bad i'm like they just give you this thing and you're like all right i'll try it on and I think early on I was probably I'm like I must be doing something wrong like this is heavy and I can only walk around a few hours a day but it was just 
sort of outdated technology. You can have the best leg, but until you've got, you know, a really good socket. Um, and Jens um, Borfelt, he's the best in the country. He does a lot of Curtis's Paralympic stuff. Does De Gelder's leg, my leg. I think he does Damien Tomlinson's as well. He he got like full sockets down to you know three or four hundred grams with carbon fiber, so made your life a lot easier. Yeah, I mean it's one of the one of the benefits of war is that when they they realise that there is a problem with something and they solve it, war's got the budget. Well, America normally has got the military budget to solve things, mate. Like you look at pre going into Afghan and Iraq, it was all old fucking skin-coloured plastic things. Um, they were more worried about cosmetic image than function. Trying to make a hand that looks like a hand or a foot that looks like a foot. It's like These days, it's like, no, give me something that I can fucking operate on. I don't give a fuck if it looks black and metallic. But they've come a long way since, since the 90s. Yeah, you're exactly right. I've got no doubt that we can put this purely on pretty much American numbers, I think, of amputees where they went, nah, I'm not, I'm not your 60-year-old person with diabetes. I don't want to just walk around and sweep the house. I want to get out. I want to run. I want to do this. I want to, I want to do CrossFit stuff. I want to, I want to work. Like we, We've come to this period where everyone that got injured from defence, oh, yeah, here's your pension, sit at home. And we all know that's no good for any of us. Like, I want to work. I want to function. I want to do all this stuff. But yeah, I've got no doubt that's come from this that period of war where so many Americans and and Brits, you know, lost their legs and and Germany, you know, Otto Bock in Germany went. We need to come up with something better. Fucking Germans, mate. Best they're, make, they're pretty. They they're pretty they take over. <laughs> now the robot army's coming, <laughs> mate. That is a fucking story. Um, so how, without regressing too much, how did it? Did you? Did it, how long did it take you before? I mean, I'm assuming it's a it's a forever ongoing journey. But how long did it take you from getting blown up to being at a point where you were capable of going about your day mentally? I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about mentally. How long were you in a fucking hole for? Yeah, it's a fair question, and I. Th- for me, I think the physical had an effect on the mental, obviously. Like any I think, you know, you see it in units, anyone that does a, a knee or an ankle, if it's a long recovery, they start to get depressed and they get, you know, regress a little bit. So the two are definitely attached. But for me I had goals when I was in hospital and Dee and I have spoken about this because she was with me the whole time, like um I, I seemed to be good, but when I got home it's when it like, all right, what is life about now? And on every morning you drag this big heavy leg on and straight away it'd remind me of, of, of Benny and what had happened. Um, I got to a point where I obviously wasn't real happy and, and, and you know, Dee was pretty young then. She's only about 25. So she, it's not like she had a whole lot of experience about this. We've started, you know, talking about this lately. Um, I, I overdosed. I took a whole heap of pain meds and, and yeah, I, I don't think it was intentional, but I was just, I, I don't know. I couldn't speak with too much clarity. Um, just the amount of pain meds I had to, to throw in to walk around on this cut bone that wasn't working on a, a decent leg. And obviously that affects you mentally as well. So I think I started to come good around August 2010 because um, that's when my daughter was born. And that, that made me like 
snap out of it mentally. I'm like, nah, this is not all about me anymore. And yeah, she's not going to see dad feeling sorry for herself. So that, that was literally the turning point for me. So just over 12 months, I think. Mate, I fucking love that. The, I remember um, when when we when we were set, sweat, uh, setting up Swiss Eight, and, and obviously you were coming on as an ambassador, and you, you sent me through a bunch of photos. And there's uh, you you in the military, you doing a bunch of stuff, a few different photos with Invictus, all, all the all the glory ones that the newspapers want to put up. And there was one of you and your daughter, and I'm like, mate, well, I, can, I can only chuck one up as your bio photo. What one do you want? And you're fucking straight away, mate. Like the one with my daughter. That was the game changer. I'm like, fuck. I mean, that that breaks hearts, mate. It was good. I loved it. Yeah, I appreciate that, mate. I think it still is, and it part of, I don't know, it's part of what Max was talking about before. What what drives you to join the army? And we all knew we were getting deployed, and we were going to go to the Middle East at some point. And then it's post nine eleven, so shit things were happening in the world. And I, the big thing when you, when you get to hold this this person that's yours, like I went, so you didn't have to. Like that. That's that's my whole reason I think like I'd rather go and, and put myself in that position so my kids get to still not sold on the world my kids are going to be left with with all this the stuff we've been talking about earlier but that that's a massive reason you, you'll put yourself in harm's way so your kids don't have to, to do that 100% mate 100% so so now, now the backstory is there right and and uh, I'll bring up some counter arguments that, that I don't think there is. I mean, our audience is fucking super loyal. They they fucking love it, mate. It's it's blowing up. But um, now the backstory is there. I want to bring up uh, the the probably ten years too late Purple Heart. Um, and mouth guards in. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, we we spoke about Purple Heart probably pre pre Afghan. We're like, why the fuck don't we have a Purple Heart? Um, it was probably pre pre Iraq two thousand seven. We're like, we should probably have a fucking purple heart in the shrine army. And then you know his old old blokes like, what you want to get a medal for getting fucking shot? Like, and we're like, yeah, nah, fair call, righto, you know, because you're a young seventeen year old kid. You're like, yeah, whatever, you know, you have no context to what a natural injury is, and nor did they because they were in a peacetime army. Now we're ten years post the incidents, and 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 probably when when's the last kinetic fighting that happened in? In Afghan, 2013, I don't know. I think 2014 for us, wasn't it? 14, yeah. 14? So seven years ago now. So now we want a Purple Heart, bro. Why? Why now? So here's my issue with it. Um, going to Orlando in 2016, I cap- was lucky. I think it was a Paralympic year for Curtis to let someone else be captain because I'm not as handsome as him, though. <laughs> Like, let me have the job just to, to keep him fit for Paralympics. Um, and it was amazing. Like, I got to speak at a mental health symposium with George Bush and Prince Harry that went live on ESPN. And they really revere and, you know, a lot of the other countries did Invictus so much more legitimate than we did. Um, There's female amputees, you know. In some events, we look like we're taking the piss when half your wheelchair basketball team gets out, gets up out of chairs and walks off after the games, and there's no legs on the other team. Like that goes back to broadening <laughs> that thing and and making it less legitimate. Like we we were that team, unfortunately, because we tried to appease everyone and we couldn't say no. 
and talking to to a lot of the American blokes, and some of them had purple heart caps and stuff like that. And you find out about the history of it, where it came from. That initially it was a piece of gold wrapped in purple cloth that was presented to you or your family. If so, obviously the person that went to war back then was, was your breadwinner, right? That they're your person for looking after your family so the gold was like whether they died or been injured was like a, a thing to um you know replicate or make up for for them not being able to provide anymore it was sort of pretty revered and still is to this day when you see it it's a powerful image because there's a lot of tradition and stuff behind it I hope that history is true, actually. Otherwise, I've been sold up the stream by... Nah, this is your podcast, mate. As long actually, as you, as long Keegan, as you say before it you're not off the hook, mate, What the veterinarian, where did it come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I actually got it up. So, veterinarian, you're right. It was... They were Roman soldiers that were excused from regular duty, so they would look after the horses. But it wasn't just because they were injured. It could be because they had other commitments, like uh, work and stuff, like other work. So, like, part-timers, I guess. Oh, reservist. So veterinarian, reservist, fucker. But it wasn't the... That's not where the word came from. The word was vet in Rome meant like uh, lame horse. <laughs> Which is kind of similar to, to vet now. Pretty similar. <laughs> Used to be good. Now lays around all the time. <laughs> um, right. So, so the Purple Heart, mate. Uh, talk to Americans face-to-face yep. -face about it. The conditions, how it's written up is very is very stringent. There's no left and right. We've shown through Invictus Games. We can't say no. We like to appease everyone. Everyone everyone gets a turn. Everyone's, you know, little things like that. So what's it going to turn into? I, I even saw a guy over there on our team, unfortunately, that um, I'll be honest, I, I rang management and tried to get him not on the team because he didn't even have the respect of his battalion. So... Those guys were ringing me, kicking up, going, this bloke never finished a bush X, always got a sore back, and now he's powerlifting in the Australian Invictus team. What are you doing? And I'm like, all right. I'm, I went to management and was told to sort of keep quiet and, and stuff like that. Um, but to me, that's, it, you know, it's, it's not legitimate. You, can, you can't put someone on that stage that doesn't even have the respect of your unit. And that's the one thing I do miss about a battalion is you, your whole reputation is... it's. It's built on your performance. You know, you can you can be gay, you can be black. You, you know, no one's going to throw shade at you for too much stuff if you if you do your job and you're good at it. Like I, I miss that. It doesn't matter, you know, what your personal interests or anything like that are. You, performance was, yeah, what built your reputation. Um, and to see this guy over there, sort of, he must have let got photos with one of the Yanks that had a purple hard hat, and he put it on. It's like. Oh, I can't explain that. It just it didn't seem right to me. And the other thing that sits with me, he got presented a hard hat and he and he actually put it on. Oh, he just chucked it on. I think just messing around. So yeah, there's a lot of storytelling going on with how people had got there from our team to the other teams and just little things like that. So um, once again, they needed to make the criteria like with the purple heart a whole lot more legitimate. Here's my issue with this. So 2009, um, like you said, a lot of the fighting was probably done by 2014. If you're going to replicate the Purple Heart criteria, then it's got to be, um, you know, a, a severity of injury in defense of America or her enemies or something like that, I think it states. So it, it's combat injuries. It's I, I don't think we're going to be strong enough to say no 
or, or have that strict criteria because we're we're a country that doesn't like to offend people or say no. Um, and the second thing is, why now? So it, it almost makes me angry, actually. Like, um, and I'll, I'll speak from the heart a little bit. Like, the besides being blown up, probably one of the hardest things that um, for me is I went through a divorce at the end of last year. Um, and Dee did put a lot aside for me when I was going through my rehabilitation. She was with me, doctor's appointments, learning how to walk, all that stuff. And now all of a sudden, 10 or 11 years later, you want to recognize that, like that, that I'm injured. And I almost feel it's a slap in the face for the people that were with us as well. Like, and now you want to drag this up 10, 10 years later when a lot of people have probably moved on with their lives and, and are reasonably successful and you want to go, hey, remember that time where you lost a mate and you got shot and blown up? Like, we're going to give you a medal now. Why now? What's what's driving it? And with how politicised everything's been, it, it doesn't feel legitimate. It's There's a political angle. There's, if you wanted to recognise it, recognise it when people get off the plane missing limbs. Recognise their families when they're like, people have gone through stressful times and, and wives and partners and, and everyone else goes for that ride with you like it, it almost feels like a slap in the face to do it 10 years later because this is the fucking kicker right um, mental health this fuck mental health is just place where everyone wants to play around in but when you're talking about physical injuries as a, as, as a result of direct enemy action then you're compartmentalizing people, right? Uh, and we don't like to do that. We don't like to... We're trying to gray the whole world out. Um, we know how it's going to fucking end up. You know, that's what you're worried about, right? So if I, if, if I could promise you as the Prime Minister of Australia and say, hey, look, the only people that are going to get a Purple Heart is, a, is from a direct result of enemy action, like near on like physically you either get shot blown up you stand on a mine you fucking um whatever it is direct result of enemy action it's not um would you be more receptive of it and you know if there's no time frame involved in it i get the time frame piece and we know why the time frame piece we're trying to we're trying to um uh, appease a, a six hundred thousand veterans. That's quite a out of a out of a country of twenty three million. Um, that's fucking a good percentage. Um, let's give them all another medal before taxed before the next election. That'll get some fucking votes. Because who's gonna get a who's gonna get a purple heart? Well, um, which is the next fucking question. I want to I want to change things too. Um, if you're if you put a claim in from DVA from being overseas, are you then not a, a casualty of war? Uh, so if you put in a claim for PTSD or whatever, you're a casualty of war in some 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 respects. You've been injured or wounded through war. That means that the Taliban get kill counts and get fucking they get more count they get more runs on the board right. Yeah, we only killed fucking 43 Australians, but we put 400,000 Australians on a pension, which costs them fucking 
$80,000 a year for the rest of their life. Mate, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think the Taliban's got access to our DVA records. You, you would the, hope. You can do the math. What? They can do it on They can do it on what? Instagram or Jackie Lambie's page. My pension's 42, by the way, so someone's doing well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the pension <laughs> is, mate. Um, um, <laughs> you, you've answered in that what you just proposed or asked of me. It, it could cover so many of our issues in this space because you said if the PM spoke to you or or consulted you fucking consult us actually get us in a room like but the problem is so this is the problem you don't need to spend hundreds of millions on a royal commission get us in a room use the lived experience yes i have this 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 and this um you know the the people the problem is with minorities mate and that is honestly a god's honest i think uh, he's like fuck. I've got to look after the veterans, but we, we- no. To be f- so, to be fair, um, there there is when 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 things do happen, and, and um, I mean, was it? You're probably one of the blokes that you you would go, yeah, bring the dude to the conversation. Um, the this new rolling commissioner is going around the country hosting fucking roundtable discussions. Now, the 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 big issue, as I mean, without getting too deep into the the formation of the pyramid of top-down approaches and how they don't work because they don't know who to speak to and if you put a general in a room and you go and the general goes bring me the the 10 most influential people and he says it to his fucking um ceo halfbird colonel then the ceo halfbird colonel is going to go and grab all the subbies and the fucking captains right when the reality is you want to have a room full of diggers but if a general's doing a tour around the country or this rolling commissioner doing a tour around the country going all right i'm going to host these round tables and find out what the fucking word on the street is how is she organizing her her group of diggers to to give her the word on the street most but most of the younger generation don't even know this this is happening no one knows she's on a on a world tour um so that's that's the problem there is there is communication disconnect but where's where do you draw the line like i don't want to fucking know mate i'm running swiss eight definitely want to know what's going on with government politics and dva space but as a as a young digger when I, as a young veteran when i got out I don't want to know the fucking ins and outs of every politician doing the rounds around Australia, running whatever the fuck they're doing. I just don't care. I got, oh, I'd rather just live my life, to be honest. Um, but the, the problem you've got is when people, like our mate um, was going was asked yesterday in his forum, what would you do differently? He's like, I'd go and talk to the people. And then 15 minutes later, he's like, don't, we need a Royal Commission. And then 15 minutes after that, he's like, this rolling commission is going around giving talks, uh, hosting round, round tables. I'm like, that's exactly what, what you said you want to do is what she's doing. But the problem is it's the people invited to the roundtable conversations. That's, I think, the piece that needs to change. And again, I don't like blowing smoke up, Tomo, but he's a fucking digger and he's in, the, he's in Parliament and he's bringing diggers to the table. And that's the only way I think we move forward is to get people from the other side of the silver spoon, the ones that never got to see it, touch it or eat from it, put them in a room and see what they've got to say. Yeah, there's too many people in this space that are not in it for the right reasons. Wholly and solely, I'd like some of these systems to be reformed, like we said, to look after the next generation of guys and girls that are going to go overseas, and hopefully they're not looking through phone books finding them limbs. 
Fuck. That is 100%, mate. Accurate. It's terrible, so, but so it's DBA's amazing. thing should be, it's, let's it's, not make the same mistakes we've made. Exactly. For the yeah. next generation. And that's with mental, that's with mental health as well. Like, I, when I first got diagnosed, honestly, I struggled that someone was sitting there telling me that I had something um, wrong with me in that capacity. Like, I, I had that was traumatic in itself for me. I'm like, I thought I had my my resilience to a level. You should turn up and fight strangers for money, like or some sort of, you know, some sort of nutcase, I guess, or had had some sort of weird thing going on. I, I thought I could handle nearly everything, but that for me was was sort of a dark time and, and coming to terms with that and then moving forward on the way you know defense treated that um i'm thankful for andrew hocking the ceo we had at the time that came in after pete Connolly. um when he first met me he came into a room at 2hsb and he just i hadn't shaved i hadn't done anything like that for ages like um he sat with me for about three hours and just talked with me like didn't talk down to me, talk to me, and we're still friends to this day. Like, um, he put things in place as an individual and someone, and showed real leadership in this space when it came to mental health. He went, "Well, you report to," he put Patchy in charge of me, or someone that knew a little bit about it and had a bit of a background and insight. He goes, "Well, you, you just stay over there and you work with that, and you, you sort of keep going that way, rather than a system that was failing us." Like. Um, they were guessing on how to treat us like and you know what some people need to take medication some people don't like um it, it's horses for courses as well it's not one one size fits all so we need obviously more research into that space but going back to the original point there's too many people in this space that are in it for their next promotion for a political agenda or election rather than be the tomos and just he's got it got to his position and he's still for the for the people like for us um, to bring a bit of truth to the space and half of these people that are going to turn up to these round tables they've got their own agendas um, I've seen it they're chasing an OAM or some sort of medal I couldn't care less about that I just want the system to be reformed so we look after people a bit better um, and that in, that's inclusive of families I think ESOs, a lot of them take a hell of a lot of money I, I worked for an ESO at one point um, and for me, it was a struggle. Like I left, you know, who was going to hire a bloke who just left defence as an above knee amputee? Um, I'd written a book about mentally comparing a physical injury to psychological, hoping that other blokes would read that and come forward. Uh, that that was really the main aspect of that. And got a job on a refugee camp on Nauru, which is probably the worst place for me. Like, yeah, go and hang out with the Pakis and Afghans. Like, pretty sure I've played this game. <laughs> Last time I did it real well. Nah, but it was a job, and I, I just wanted to, like, comes back to family. I wanted my kids to see me getting out working. wanted to support my wife and my kids. Um, finally got a job with, with mates and mates here in town, and they spend a lot of money, um, Queensland RSL, sort of having those centres open. And I did get to get a few boys in for, for free psych and, and stuff like that when they were at that point where they needed to unload something. So... There are some positives there, but they just set it up wrong because they weren't, they didn't engage with us again. It's It was set up wrong because they brought in business people or people to tell us what we want. Um, 8.30 to 4.30 were the opening hours. I'm like, all right, sweet. So you've just ruled out every person that's left defense and is working. 
So, of course, you know, it was set up for contemporary, I sort of hate that word, but the younger veterans, unless you're TPO, you're at work. So we didn't get the younger veterans. We got the older ones that are, it just, the whole thing was just set up poorly and designed poorly because they did not consult with us. I think, so, so what's your prediction what like what 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 are you predicting for the purple heart are we going to get are we going to Australian equivalent and who's it going to go to in the words of Paul Warren I think they'll appease everyone and it won't be as strict or as stringent as a purple heart so it'll be a watered down version that is all about votes like or is all about like I said who the strange thing for me is is who's driving this like is it is it parents is it politicians is it you know I'm I'm good with walking on a prosthetic now if you wanted to recognise this and uh, my ex-wife sacrifices and all the other partners you should have done this 10 years ago when it happened why is it important now it'll be a watered down version to appease people I think that's sad that's really sad Absolutely. It has no significance whatsoever. If you give, if the model, the original model come, I mean, came from from trying to give them financial um, compensation, I guess, to people who can't work anymore. DVA is doing a pretty good job of that, filling people's bank accounts with cash. Um, something to pin on your chest. Fuck me, dead. I don't get it. They, I mean, they even they, the, that veteran pin. I don't. I, that baffles me, mate. There's enough shit going on your chest on Anzac Day. Um, what's the, the point? mother's the mother's badge is one. Uh, Huggo and I asked the PM on Paul Murray one night. Obviously, I think you were there, Max. Like, yeah, yeah. That's something significant, you know. If you've lost a child, you know, um, like Vicky, Maddie Lambert's mum, like they should 100% be recognised. You want to do something positive in the space? Recognise the 43 mothers and and people like that. Um, Straight away, I'd, I've got, I've got a really weird relationship with my medals, and I hardly ever wear them, even on Anzac Day. I think I've got a reminder, you know, most days when I get up, like of of my deployment and stuff like that. Like, see, that's the difference, man. I think that's what it is: uh, complacency and the ability to forget. I get to wake up in the morning, and some days I'm super hungover, and some days I'm really busy with work. Some give, days give I'm not ratio. really. Some days I'm not really busy with work. <laughs> some days I'm really performing. Uh, but my moon, my my mindset can change directly proportionate to to my life circumstances. Yours is anchored to it. Yours is. I'm gonna go and get up and take a piss in the night. I just walk up and go fuck. I'm sh- so shit. I'm awake. I'm gonna go take a piss. You're hopping to the toilet, going. I remember, I remember. Do you know what I mean? That is the fucking difference. And I think that's what a Purple Heart is. And, and I don't, yeah. I think um, we all know that, that Australia is a society based on on a welfare system. If you give a Purple Heart, it needs to be very fucking specific on on exactly what they get them for. And it's that is be, a direct result of enemy action uh with physical it's got to be physical man but it is it can't be it can't be i get it man i saw some of the doc what's that documentary we watched at readers the the movie outpost that's a movie man it's not a doco well it's a, it's fucking <laughs> it, it was real it was a true story <laughs> uh, the outpost 
Those fucking Fuck dudes, if they've got PTSD, they got fucking... P- they were like in a gunfight, like, we're probably going to die today. And that was 365 days of the year. Like, it wasn't like, yeah, this is... So you get into a, you get into your first fist fight against a 30-year-old dude, you're like, yeah, I'm a fucking mad cunt. Um, I guess at the end state of all that, uh, you sort of learn to live with the fact that you're going to go play chess with a human being. And I think Americans in that particular outpost and, and World War Two veterans, some dudes in Vietnam, went and learned to play chess with their own mortality and, and what was going to happen to them. Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't think I've ever had too much faith in the honours and award system. And, and here's a funny one for you. So I finally got back to work like back into 2009 or 2000, early 2010 and they, they put me in ops with Yogi and he was sort of looking after me. And on my PM keys, this thing came up and was like, I, I don't know what this is. Probably taking too many endone that day. So like, some, you know, bronze commendation was there. And apparently the section our section got them for obviously what had happened and then about a week later it's gone and I'm like alright and then someone came to me and said listen we made a mistake you know your section got it but you didn't get it because you were the injured guy <laughs> so they, they put one uh, you know what it's the opposite they, purple heart <laughs> they, they put it this is how much like I make of the honours and awards particularly like I didn't care. I was more angry that the blokes that went through that, like, only received a bronze commendation when we know people got a whole lot more for a whole lot less. Gold commendations and above. <laughs> a bronze one. Like, the, the boys should have got, you know, a little bit more than that for what they dealt with that day. Um, kept me alive, had to hold that ground after I'd been, well after I'd been chopped out and still carried on with the next seven months of the deployment. Yeah, so um, commendations are direct. This is the thing, but so commendations, I, I think you, in order to get a bronze commendation, it's CO level, right? So CO gives you a bronze commendation. A silver commendation, the brigadier will give you a silver commendation, has to go to a brigadier. Um, and then I think it's, someone someone's going to jump on and be like, nah, that's fucking wrong. But the levels are, I'm pretty sure it's CO, brigadier, and, and army, right? So division. So they're the people that have to... So the fact that you got a bronze commendation was the CO was like, these cunts went through some shit on my watch and they should get a bronze commendation. The fact that it wasn't silver or gold means that nobody gave a fucking shit, mate. Means above that the, hawks. Above hawks, was it, mate. Was it, was it hogging when the... It would have been hogging, mate. Out? Was, it, was, was it still... No, it would have um, been Pete Connolly. Connolly. Yeah. Well, Connolly hawks. or hawks, mate. Yeah. Hawks I, took over at start of 2010, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, tell you what, man. Like shifting gears, they were fucking two pretty good CEOs to have overseas. Solid dudes, mate. The, the year when we got the way Hocking brought us back from overseas was about as fucking good as you can get. He did not give a fuck what was supposed to happen. He was like, "This is this is how you run a battalion that's just come back from Afghan." I'm like, "Fuck, he did well." And he's, he's still a good about- friend to this day. Like you, you talk about the. You know, someone, he's a two-star now, obviously. He invited mm. Tomo and I to, um, when he was getting promoted, look, you've invited two diggers down, you know, to see a two-star promotion. But the biggest thing is, he's, you know, he owes, he owes me nothing. Like, I was just a digger that got wounded, like, and he, he hadn't We're even taken over the battalion a leg, then. A leg would be a good start, mate. 
Mate, no. we're gonna have to reach back out to him. Max sent me. He wrote a paper on on the ESO space a couple of years ago. I, Max only, I sent it to him the other day, reading through it. Ganging up on the problem. Mate, yeah, it's he fuck it. I mean, it's almost like prophetic. Is that a is that a word? Like to be? It was. It's, it's almost profound. A prophecy, yeah. Like, prof- yeah, well, mate, the, he he saw what was what needed to happen before it needed to happen, and he's like, "This is what's going to happen. This is what needs to happen. Start fucking changing." And no one listened to it yet. I mean, hopefully they are. It was all. I'm like, it fits exactly with the model we've built conveniently, but um, we've got to, we've got to touch base with him because we I, I built. I mean, we we started putting ideas around because it's what the boys were were chasing and, and we were like talking about issues that needed to be fucking raised. Hawks had raised them a couple of years ago. 2017, yeah. Mm. I hope he's CDF because he's a different type of leader. He's not... Um, and obviously, you mean he's an actual leader? Actual oh, leader. Oh, he cares about people, not just... Um, so the, the crazy thing, and this is how much he cares, like when I was being interviewed with Ryan Mattel after they tried to kill me in Chile on that expedition, um, he literally flew from Canberra to Melbourne and came with me to my job interview. So it doesn't hurt when you've got like a brigadier that's going to sit in like and actually give you, you know, a vote of confidence and, and that sort of stuff. Like, oh, I can't thank him enough for, for that. Um, mm. And I think that trend, that's another transition for me. Like, I, I didn't feel like I belonged in that corporate world, especially walking into a big company like Rheinmetall. Um, and he, you know, he sort of took me aside and he goes, look, when... When have you ever had growth without being uncomfortable, whether you're fighting, whether you're in the army? Like, he's like, you'll be all right. Like, and it, yeah, he just, he just sort of made you feel, um, yeah, a little bit at ease, which is once again, just leadership 101, I think. Um, and after that, because of the gaps we see, we're sort of able to design and implement that, the, the program that won the Prime Minister's Veteran Employment Awards. Like, this is a gap that if you ask us, we'll tell you where it is. Like, And now companies are looking at bringing veterans in on job placements, whether they're injured, whether they have PTSD. It's it's not a hindrance anymore. It's it's come in and we'll see what you're capable of and what you can do. And, you know, the program at Rheinmetall is like, it works pretty well. We've picked up another amputee and another few guys that were a bit lost and didn't know what to do after service. And there's some, some female veterans in there as well, so... It's definitely a gap employment. So right, let, let's just let's just consolidate most of this. Um, uh, fighting a seventeen, a thirty year when you're seventeen, Australasian kickboxing champion joins the army, goes overseas, above the knee amputee, goes through some traumatic stuff. Goes, you know what? Fuck it, I'm not quite dead yet. Um, I'll, I want to go and work for Rheinmetall Defence Industry, and then I'm going to go up Chile, which is the which was which is a whole event in itself right yeah it was a bit crazy i just come off the two invictus games and i'm like yeah i'm, I'm done with this and i may have butted heads with a few people on the way out because it was getting less legitimate that i felt and i was just trying to appease everyone um and i'd sort of been twice and i was a bit over it and managed to run again like um didn't run very well but still ran um and I thought, went back to sort of, I was working at Mates for Mates then and I was a little bit over that as well, like, because it's not a good news space. If you're in the veteran space, you're very rarely getting people ringing you going, DVA were awesome today, and they have been on, on heaps of occasions. You, you just, you're not getting the good news. 
the veteran space is, is very rarely about good news. So I was keen to sort of move out of there and um, Ryan Mattel approached me with this event in um, Chile in South America. They wanted to drive two vehicles to the highest drivable point in the world, which is the Andes Atacama. So the, yeah, the driest desert on the planet. And yeah, altitude sickness, minus 30 degrees, 100k an hour winds, like what could go wrong? Yeah, it's a crazy trip, but some good people. And I went with a UK veteran as well. Uh, yeah, um, Chris, he'd, um, he'd broken his back in Iraq. Something had failed when they were, yeah, they were obviously doing some roping stuff and he hit the ground pretty hard and broke his back. So I was fortunate enough to meet, yeah, Chris Bailey and, and some good people like that and get to experience South America. And um, once I sat down with one of the executives from Rymatel and, and he'd sort of asked me about how it was moving on getting a job and I told him I'd sent my CV out about 50, 60 times and just got nothing back. He, he basically let me have the, the reins to design and implement their own veteran program to help people out in a similar boat. So um, pretty thankful for him. Um, ben Hudson, his name is. He's gone on to BAE now, but um, yeah, definitely thankful. He, he gave me the reins to sort of come in and, and build that. And then win the Veteran Employment Awards. Yeah, lucky enough to get that last year. And I think we went about it in a really different way. Like, you know, if you grab a, a captain or a major that's transitioning out of defence, that's got a skill set and probably university education, it's a transition. It's not, it's not that hard to get them into a role that they can do, right? But the lowest common denominator is the digger, probably combat cause, no skill set. What do we do with them? We, you know, and, and could be injured as well. Like I piloted the program with one of my mates, um, BJ, who's a, he's an above knee amputee as well. He's X24. So I just went, we're going to go after what's perceived as a complex case, show that these people belong in the workplace if they've got that drive and desire to be there. And yeah, the company picked him up and he works in procurement now. So does a lot of contract management and that sort of stuff. Is that a direct result? Like, is is it because you are so... Th th there's a drive to succeed as an amputee that some people who don't have to, they're just like, well, I'm just going to get a pension. I don't really give a fuck. But there's an internal drive as an amputee to be like, I'm fucking not going to fail. I don't... I don't think so, mate. I think you might be overplaying it there a little bit. Like, I, I, I appreciate it and I get what you're saying. I think this is this is about our, this space and we can come up with solutions. For me, that was, you know, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not a genius on a computer or design programs or anything like that, but it was gaps and stuff that we were missing and to help me with that transition, all I wanted was a company to bring me in and engage with me even on a work trial and I would have showed them that I was, you know, worth something. Um, in regards to the amputee thing, I think, you know, you have days where if you're angry, you're angry. If you're tired, you're tired. If you're over it, you're over it, whether you're an amputee or not. So you just, you know, we all, we all deal with stuff in our own, own way, but 10 or 11 years later, yeah, in, in long pants, mate, most people know and I don't give them a reason to know. 
<laughs> right, mate. Um, so uh, outside of of the, the fucking repertoire of what you've done, writing a book and moving forward, mate. Um, I I think we've managed to actually finally, and we could keep talking for another ninety minutes, I reckon, to encapsulate Paul Warren, um, mate. I just want to say thanks for for fucking being an ambassador and for being a bastion for what, even for using the army's term of what right looks like and giving people context, maybe to the future debate of what the Purple Heart would be or should be. Mate, it was great seeing you on the show and and um, we'll put your book up in the uh, comments and the social posts. But uh, fuck, it's always good to have you, mate. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, boys. Happy to be on. I appreciate it and your time. And hopefully they engage us and we can come up with some of these solutions soon because they are there.